Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. It is Wednesday morning, February 15th, 843-661-0937, our number. I got a hot-off-the-press SCGOP poll, presidential poll, Ooh. one of the first. I actually got it last night. I got sources, Rev. Um, I know you do. Well, I mean, you know I do. You know I'm in the click, in the know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got sources. I actually woke up to a text this morning saying, hey, just a heads up. This will break sometime early this morning, but here's the um, here's the numbers. Awesome. And we'll go over those numbers. And, um, I was going to say, are you, are you going to share? What do you mean we'll critique and handicap those? Is somebody already on the phone? Yep. Okay. It's Roger. Let's go there. Before, yeah. before we start in our, um, before we start traversing the political universe, let's allow our dear friend Roger to um, kick off today. He said he had show. something on his mind and he was going to get right to it, something crazy. So, Roger, have at it. Good morning, fellas. I was just reading. I get up, you know, 4.30 or so, and I start reading all the news. And, I, you know, this aggregate of news that you get on MSN. And now I will say this. I didn't watch any of the Super Bowl the other night. You know, I just didn't care who won. It didn't matter to me. I watched reruns of All in the Family on MeTV. But, <laughs> you know, having said that, this I don't know who he was, but this idiot was writing uh, – how great the halftime show was. And, of course, you know, I don't understand, and I put a comment on there, well, obviously, you're an idiot. Uh, It's one of my hot-button issues that these musical folks, or so-called musical folks that are on the halftime show, or that everybody seems to go crazy over, I mean, We're becoming a nation of idiots, if you think that's music. Now, I got a a praise item here. Uh, I contacted the new coach by email at Hannah Pampico because I go over to some games, and I want to give Jamie Johnson credit for bringing a lot of enthusiasm to the program. The only program, the only criticism I had of Jamie was the music he allowed to be played. To me, it was an embarrassment to the community and the school. And Trey responded to me that definitely there would be a change in the musical style this year, which means that I'll probably will enjoy the games a lot more without having that head-banging nonsense. Now, I will, <laughs> I will agree that every generation has its music. But this stuff is garbage. It's not music. Can you go back to the Beatles? And their, number, their first hit, I believe, in America was I Want to Hold Your Hand. If, that, if somebody got that song today, instead of I Want to Hold Your Hand, it would be I Want to Whatever. You know, you can fill in the blank. I mean, <laughs> that was pretty tame. You know, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and it was a good song. But I dare to say what it would say today. If you made that music, it wouldn't be I want to hold your hand. It'd be want to be something else. I want to bleep your bleep. Yeah. I bleep mean, it out. <laughs> I mean, folks, it is a hot-button issue to me. One of the main reasons, like I told you before, that I quit going to clips and football games. I don't want to listen to that crap. You know, if you think that's music, I'm sorry. You're an idiot. You don't belong with the discourse of things. You are a total idiot. Now, I, will, I don't have a much... Um, I don't particularly care for the boss's music, but I will acknowledge it is music. And, you know, you like it, Ken, and that's great. 
He's had a couple of songs that I like, Your Hometown and stuff like that. I don't care for his music, but I'll acknowledge his music. This other stuff ain't music. It's garbage. Thank you. Thank you, Roger. <laughs> Appreciate that. Now, now, Roger failed to mention that he was in charge of music at Hannah Public Ohio School back in the day. Oh. Yeah. He, there's he was a little more to the story. Th- there is. And it was a um, it was a steady dose of George Jones, Merle Haggard. Um, I think Hank Williams Jr. might have been on Robert uh, Roger's bad list. Hank Williams Sr. would have been acceptable. But Jr. may have been a bit too rambunctious and um, and a little too new age country music. Um, look, look I, that's an interesting topic and an interesting conversation. Um, music is a big part of our lives. I mean, Rev and I did a couple of shows one year during the pandemic when we felt everybody was on edge, needed some encouragement, some um, some spiritual and um, emotional nourishment or mm. re-nourishment, and it was probably one of the better couple of days we've had when we did these music montages, gave away some good gifts in partnership with our um, sponsors. I went back when Roger was talking about, you know, Super Bowl shows. Um, in 1993, they made a big splash with Michael Jackson. I mean, that was a big splash. They went from having um, the bands. In other words, in 1992, um, there were bands there. The University of Michigan marching band. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, the, the, I wondered when the trend the, started. The this. Southern California marching yeah. band. I mean, I'm not saying that's when the, when the trend. It looks to me. Well, I mean, I'm wrong there because in 1991, um, new kids on the block. Okay, um, but but really made a big splash in '93 when when Michael, Michael Jackson, Jackson. I remember that uh, did the halftime um, show in Pasadena, California, and then from there you've got Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and the Judds did it the next year, the following year. Uh, Patty Labelle, Teddy Pendergrass, Tony Bennett, um, the Miami Sound Machine. Remember them, Reb? Oh yeah. Uh, and then you get to 1996, Diana Ross. And 1997, the Blues Brothers, ZZ Top, James Brown were the halftime. And these would have been collaborations of different genres of music. You get to 1998, you got Smokey Robinson, the Temptations, Queen Latifah, and the Grambling State University Marching Band. Um, You get to 1999, Gloria Estevan, Stevie Wonder, uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Uh, I've heard that, never don't know any of the music. Uh, you get to 19, excuse me, get to 2000. Um, you ready? Uh, Enrique Iglesias, Phil Collins, the Georgia State University marching band. Um, 2001, this would have been before 9-11, Aerosmith, and NSYNC. Um, wow, nine, uh, 2002 at the Louisiana Superdome, U2 was um, the halftime show. Um, 2003, Shania Twain. You got no problem with that. Um 2004, you ready? Janet Jackson, P. Diddy, Kid Rock, Justin Timberlake, Jessica Simpson. That's the, um, that was the, the infamous, wardrobe malfunction. That's right. Yeah, went on. Um, or was it? Uh, well, or was it? There you go. Um, here you go, Rev. 2005. McCartney. 2005, Paul McCartney. I remember. 2006, The Rolling Stones. 2007, Prince. 2008. One of the greatest. Yeah, 2008, Tom Petty, The Heartbreakers. 2009, uh, Bruce Springsteen of the East Street Band. Uh, 2011, uh, 2010 to who? 2011, um, the Black Eyed Peas, and then he got Madonna, uh, Beyonce. Uh, so this would have been uh, it was Rihanna and not Beyonce this week. Uh, Bruno Mars, uh, Katy Perry, uh, Coldplay. This is when I would have probably checked out. So in all honesty, um, I mean, I obviously Lady Gaga and Justin. I know who they are. 
I don't have any appreciation at all for their music. I mean, I guess what Roger is saying, I appreciate their talent. I mean, I went to see the movie A Star is Born about Lady Gaga. I mean, she was a, she appeared in the movie. I mean, the movie's not about Lady Gaga, but she was a female vocalist in the movie. I guess she played Barbara Streisand, or the original one that Barbara Streisand played. Chick can sing. She can sing. I mean, the, the girl can sing oh, her yeah. behind off. No doubt. Um, but I don't appreciate the music. I mean, I appreciate the talent. I just don't much appreciate um, the music. So when I look at, and then you've got um, Timberlake, you've got Maroon 5, uh, Sharika, Shakira, Jennifer Lopez, um, The Weeknd, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, uh, Mary J. Blige. But I've heard of all these names. I don't know any of the music. Uh, Rihanna is the most recent. But when I go back, I mean, my appreciation probably ended, I hate to say this, but about the time Bruce performed. And that would have been in, once again, yeah, that would have been in 2000. What did I say? Nine, right? I think. Yeah, 2009. Uh, because you got, I mean, I, the know, who was the next year, and that would have the, the who would have been the, that's kind of a um, that's a celebration of days gone by, right? I mean, the who is a that would have been kind of a retro act in celebration of one of the great England English bands or British rock bands ever. But I mean, you know, uh, McCartney in in 05, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, it's a big rock, he's a huge rock star. Um, and then you go to oh, that might have been the best run as far as I'm concerned, Rev. So in 05, you had McCartney, in 06, you had the Stones. In 07, you had Prince. In 08, you had Tom Petty of the Heartbreakers. And in 09, you had Springsteen of the E Street Band. Uh, yeah, I can handle that. But I mean, that's right in my Not alley. Bad. Yeah, Not I mean, bad. That, th- those are really and truly, I mean, th- those are iconic rock and roll superstars. Um, every single one of those people have a place in the um, in the all-time great pantheon of rock and rollers. But, but as Roger said, it gets to a point where, once again, I don't go as, as far as Roger does, but I never have on this. I mean, Rogers always called people that appreciate that kind of music morons. Um, I, I don't know that I go that far because, once again, people have different appreciations for different sorts of things. Some of it I don't get. I mean, some of it, I, it it's insulting, it's nasty, it's demeaning, it's disparaging. I don't understand um, the, I, the, 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 how someone could be consumed by some of the music that, uh, that we hear today. But I got to believe when I played A Flock of Seagulls, my father wanted to know. I mean, I know he didn't know what was going on with my hair because he asked me. But uh, he never said, <laughs> that's hippie music. That's the devil's music. You know what I mean? That's um, that's Satan at work in your heart. Uh, anyway, I, thank you, Roger, for um, stirring the juices first thing uh, this morning. Let's go to the phone. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, just quick correction there, Ken. The, the original A Star is Born movie was in the 30s starring a Janet Gaynor. So, or I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But anyway, there was an, actually the, the... Well, if you aren't, somebody Robert will call and correct you. Huh? If you aren't, know, somebody will call and correct you. <laughs> well, it wasn't... Uh, the the Streisand one was actually a remake. Anyway, that's not what I called about. Uh, you almost touched on it right there in response to Roger. I'm sure the parents of the 60s said the same thing about the Beatles, and I want to hold your hand. Um, now, I'm not defending today's music. Listen, I like both kinds of music, Ken, country and Western. Okay, I like them both. Uh, as for what the – but I mainly wanted to call to mention uh, Chris Stapleton's uh, national anthem. Um, I'm usually that was not great. a fan of anybody that – I'm usually not a fan of anybody that alters the 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 rhythm a little bit. I I, I want that song song like that song song like it's supposed to be sung, you know. But I'm gonna tell you something. He crushed it, and 
Uh, I think it's noteworthy far above what Rihanna did. And I, listen, if you like that music, I'm not going to be like Roger. I'm not going to call you an idiot. Um, your music sucks. But, uh, you know, I mean, can you not find George Jones anywhere? I mean, really? Come on now. Or George Strait. Uh, George Wills. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, no, um, I just wanted to comment that, you know, every generation felt that way. I'm sure the, maybe your your dad was a kid, but I'm sure there's a lot of parents uh, when they heard I Want to Hold Your Hand question whether it was music you know um but but yeah the, the main reason i was calling when he mentioned super bowl i thought chris stapleton i put his performance right up there with ray charles singing america the beautiful and i pull that up on youtube once a year whether i need to or not uh to watch old ray sing america the beautiful and uh that'll get the patriotic uh juices flowing as well but anyway got nothing political to talk about we'll see if we shoot down another balloon uh and I'm I'm eager though. Let me get out out of the way because I want to hear your big news. So uh, let's uh, pitter patter. Let's get at her. Have Thank you. Day. Thank you, Boudreaux. Appreciate that. Let me ask you this question. I mean, if we can get someone to play along, does music reflect morality? I mean, hmm. does the sort of I mean that's what Rogers insinuating. He won't say it, but he's insinuating that that a decline of ethics and morality lead to a uh, you know. A, a, I mean, I'm not talking about liking music or not. Here's here's the point I'll make. Should a musician or an artist, should a musician, I mean, obviously they should be allowed to do this, but should a musician be celebrated in writing and singing about killing cops or or, or, or criminal behavior, antics? Once again, um, I'm to try to be poetic here for a second. I do believe there's a moral force to music. I think music does in some way, shape, or form reflect our human character, our human ethic. Um, but what is acceptable? What is not? I want to hold your hand. Boudreaux just said, I would imagine um, in, in the days of reefer madness, remember the documentary reefer madness, that if you allowed people to smoke marijuana, we'd kill one another and I mean, the world would never be the same. Um, well, I mean, I'm not saying marijuana is good or bad. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'm not for legalizing it because I don't want a bunch of stoners, you know, stumbling around the country. I just, you know, I get the, um, I get the libertarian worldview. I get the fact that you should be allowed to do what you choose too late, to do. By the way, well, I mean it's too late in about what twenty-eight states or so. Um, they're stumbling around the country. Whether you yeah, well, let I mean, marijuana's won more elections than Republicans and Democrats put together in the last um, twenty years. I uh, probably ten years, ten or twelve years. But but you know, I mean, obviously there's a force to music. I mean, it marks the times. There's a reason that during the pandemic, Rev and I felt inclined to kind of allow people to celebrate a day together without fear of vaccines and social distancing and am I going to be able to go back to work tomorrow or the next day? I mean, we were in uncharted territory. So where did Rev and I go? I mean, we went to music and we had montages of different genres of music. Cato was with us at the time. We put him in charge of the uh, the country and western uh, genre. Um, Rev was in charge, as you would imagine, the corporate rock, the poppy <laughs> um, kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was a singer-songwriter guy. Because I'm the intellect of the bunch, yeah. right, Rev? That's exactly I mean, we, what we I was know thinking. that. Yep. But um, but but once again, I mean, music. I mean, I, I would argue has both positive and negative effects or impacts on um on morality. I think music inspires people to do better, to be better. I think music inspires people to question the orthodoxies of the world. Uh, and maybe I'm making too much about this, but but there is. I mean, does music reflect morality and ethic of the human character and condition? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Um, does music make you feel better at times, Rev? Does, does music make you feel different 
at times. It can, sure. Sure it can. Absolutely. I mean, it absolutely can. You can reflect. You, you can think about, okay, I remember this period of time. I, I mean, I just said a second ago, uh, McCartney, Prince, Tom Petty, the, the Who, Springsteen. I mean, yeah, I mean, I could listen to that and, um, and feel inspired because it reminds – I guess the music that we listen to reminds us of a place in our lives. Here's what it does for me. I can't speak for you. For me, it reminds me of a place when, when, I, when I felt as free as I've ever felt in my life. It's hard to believe, Rev, in your youth, you don't have any money. You don't really have any security, but you feel free. You feel unencumbered. And I think the majority of people who get married, you know, the grind of life, and I don't want to say it's a bad thing. I mean, it's certainly not. I mean, I'm, I'm very blessed, very fortunate in my life. But when I was younger, when I'm listening to a flock of seagulls, well, that's a pretty unique example. <laughs> but but there, there's something about that song, when I hear it again, I think about that, 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 that life that I had when, when I pretty much lived it by myself. I mean, if, you know, I did what I wanted to do, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. Now, now I had a mom and dad who, who had some, some oversight, but I'd gotten to the age that I was, you know, able to do what I wanted to do. And then you get married, you have kids, it becomes um, a grind, a responsibility. There, there's a burden. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a precious burden. It's a burden that I don't regret at all. But, but, you know, I think we, in all of our lives, we have these periods that we believe we were happier than any other period of our lives. And I think music reminds us of that. I don't know, for me, Rev, it's the liberated feeling of being a young adult and being able to kind of experience independent with a lot of, with a lot of responsibility, without a lot of, there you go. That's the best way to say it. There you go. The independence without a lot of responsibilities. I'm as independent now as I've ever been. I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> 843-661-0937-We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. I will say this, and then we'll put a bow on, on, on the subject Roger brought up. I will say this. I'm fascinated by how much money some of these entertainers make because we, we're the reason that's allowed to take place. But I mean, there's no way a, a, a recording studio like Columbia Records could play or could pay a Beyonce or a, um, you know, a Springsteen or a whomever unless there was a, a collective appetite for their work. So there's, there's no conceivable way possible that Tom Cruise could make, you know, $25 million a movie. I'm just making that number up. I don't have any idea what his deal is. But, but Warner Brothers Pictures or Columbia Records, that, that astounds me. And I do think that speaks to the morality, the ethic, the human character and condition of our nation when you have a scientist in a laboratory at a research university trying to cure cancer, making a half million dollars a year. You got some dude yelling in a microphone, making a hundred million dollars a year, or some actor pretending to be somebody they aren't making even more than that on a three-year deal with Warner brothers or, or, or yeah, that, that, that amazes me. I, I, mean, I that, think Beyonce is worth a billion dollars. I mean, that, that's absurd. I mean, that, and, and Springsteen sells his collection for what? $600 million. Uh, and, and once again, you've got research scientists hard at work in laboratories and research, excuse me, You've got scientists in research universities and laboratories trying to cure cancer, and but but yet a rock star or a movie star. Once again, I mean the market is the market. I mean it's mine and your fault, Rev. I mean would we rather talk about a research scientist curing cancer or or, or the halftime show at the Super Bowl? <laughs> I mean you know we the consumer set the market. Sure. I mean we do. We establish what someone's worth in the marketplace, 
And um, and we're so gullible. They market these movies. They market these rock stars and country music stars. I mean, some are unbelievably talented. I mean, they're, they're equally talented to the person curing cancer in a research hospital, but are they doing a service to mankind or not? I mean, they're entertaining us. So, so in essence, we've decided that we would rather, our pocketbooks have decided collectively that we would rather be entertained than have cancer cured. Let's go to the phone. Here's Breeze. Good morning. And while we're being entertained, Chinese are flying saddle balloons over our country. Terrorists are destroying, trying to destroy our water supply, our infrastructure, derailing trains. You got plumes of, of deadly gas going over Ohio. I mean, yeah, yeah, we got this. You know, there's, there's not much more important to talk about while we're being entertained in Super Bowls and everything else. That's great. But another thing I was going to ask you, Ken, um, do any preachers listen to, I mean, I'd like to think they do. Well, these people that graduated the seminary, are they listening to this radio show? Are you aware of it? Uh, I know some do. I mean, we had a couple call in, and I've shared text and, and had conversations with some who, um, yeah, I mean, that, I, I, how many, I don't have any idea, Breeze. But, yeah, there, there, are some, there are some pastors who listen to what we do and share every morning. So what my point is, you know, that boy that calls in in the morning, um, I know Jesus probably loves him, but I'm having a tough time with it, to tell you the truth. And uh, I guess I got to progress a little bit further in my Christianity. But when somebody sits there, and again, I may not be being biblical here, when somebody sits there and basically smugly, basically, you know, spouts all of the stuff, that, what's that boy, that Bert, that all those stuff that uh, he says that he gets out of the it's a totonic playbook, hey, here, this is how you refute this for the Bible. This is how you refute this for the Bible. This is how you make a Christian look stupid. This is how you make a Christian look dumb. This is how you embarrass them. And then you smugly look at them like you're so much smarter than everybody else is. And I feel like the daggone preachers and the pastors and the church and everybody else blew a golden opportunity during COVID to, to, to bring pe- more people into the church. And what happened? The church went down. And then when you get guys saw. Uh, like no, the boy Bert calls in, and he's got his satanic playbook where he can refute every little thing in the Bible, say Jesus was just a preacher, and everything else. Is there a responsibility for somebody that graduated from seminary to call in and, and maybe in a more Christian way than I have, in a more biblical way, say, hey, these are the things that this guy is saying, but they're not true because of A, B, C, D, and E. And you know what, again, I would like to know where your references are. When you sit there and you talk about these things that are anti-biblical, well, are you getting it from, so you're obviously getting it from a guy that's anti-biblical too. But, you know, and that's okay. But, you know, to sit there and talk in such a smug fashion, like we're a bunch of dang old hayseeds to brush our teeth with a hay rake and are too stupid, you know, that's their whole thing. You know, to be a Christian, you've got to be just stupid. You've got to be just stupid. Well, you know, we're probably too polite to turn it around on them. Well, maybe I'm not. But you know what I'm saying? I would like to see some somebody with a little more biblical knowledge than me to sit down and, and, this, and, and maybe debate. I mean, I get sick and tired of hearing that same old stuff that he gets from sometimes. That's fine if he wants to say it, but there's got to be a rebuttal to it by somebody that can do it in, in a proper biblical fashion. A lot of us have not had the training to rebut these things 
saying or close to it. Uh, but it just really kind of, you know, I just like to see some of these preachers stand up and say, wait a second, this guy can't be saying these things without us at least asking a few questions about what he's saying and what his references are about stuff like, you know, saying Jesus was just a preacher. Is that what he said yesterday? Yeah, pretty much. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. And and once again, I'm not theologically trained. I mean, I've read the Bible. I am by no means a perfect Christian by any stretch of the imagination, but but I've read the Bible. I've tried to understand the Bible. That There are questions I have about my interpretation of the Bible. There's a certain pastor in this community. This would surprise you. Before COVID, he and I went out to lunch um, occasionally, and we shared stories about, and he was very theological. He was very fundamental, very disciplined in his belief and his interpretation. His studying had led him there. I mean, his dedication to, to understanding, you know, the, the word that he preaches every Sunday morning. And I would say things on the air that would concern him. And we'd go out to lunch every now and then. Rev knows exactly who it is. And it would probably, um, I don't want to share his name because it would damage his reputation beyond <laughs> repair, probably. But but I think we all have a curiosity about, and the reason Breeze asked that, um, you know, we talked about the Super Bowl a second ago and the halftime show. Well, uh, so, some evangelical Christian groups um, cobbled together about a billion dollars, and they've been on an ad campaign. Um, he gets us, and it's about Jesus. It's about the, the the gospel story. It's about Christianity. And 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 I had a problem because to me they were trying to take one of the most offensive and controversial figures in the history of mankind and, and put him in a box far too small for that sort of controversial and divisive figure to fit in. Um, I, these are my words, twisting the gospel to fit today's cultural standards is unfair to the gospel. It's simply not. Today's cultural standards will be different tomorrow. They'll be different the next day. The The life of Christ was an example of, well, I mean, it, it's, it's an example of how to live a perfect life and treat your fellow man, but it was also a, a human sacrifice. It was a, it was a salvation. Now, now, once again, and I don't think Breeze is doing this. I'm not telling our listeners that you got to believe what I tell you. You got to listen to what I say. I just thought it was very interesting that during halftime of the Super Bowl, which is what, Reb, the most valuable airtime on this planet. Yep. I mean, there, there, there's not 30 seconds more expensive. I mean, if you're in the marketing or branding business and you want to market or brand to the largest universe of potential customers, that is when you do it. I think 118 million people watched Rihanna. But, but you better have deep pockets. No doubt. I mean, if you want to spend, what, $7.5 million for 30 seconds, then then have at it. And this group cobbled together about a billion dollars advocating the gospel story, tr- trying to engage, a, I guess, Rev, 118 million people who may or may not know the gospel story. And I understand the branding marketing of that. How do you brand Jesus? How do you market Jesus? Um, to me personally, it is personal. I mean, it's my events. It's my experiences. It's my life happenings that have led me to a certain belief that I have and a certain figure that, that you know, I, you know, do I give total control of my life to Jesus? I should. I don't. I mean, I'm man enough to admit it. I like to keep two or three pages of that book to myself so I can do what I want. Like, like the Jefferson Bible we were talking about yesterday. <laughs> certain, certain things about that faith that make me a little uncomfortable. But, but I challenge myself to better understand that. What, what Breeze is saying, basically, I can give a very humanistic accounting of Christ. I mean, I can tell you what he means to me, what he's done in my life, how I feel about 
my relationship, but I'm not theologically sound enough to go into great detail or specificity what the Bible says and how the Bible's accuracy has been challenged. The point I tried to make yesterday, and I stand by this. I mean, I'll stand by. I don't, if you're going to tell 118 million people about Jesus, don't try to make him uncontroversial. Don't try to make him um, non-divisive. He was a very divisive, very controversial figure, probably the most controversial figure in the history of mankind, and stop trying to twist the gospel to fit today's cultural standards or norms. It ain't going to work. Let's go to the phone. JT in Florence. Good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, JT. Um, now, I'm not quite sure who Breeze is referring to, but was it your caller from yesterday morning? I think he's talking about Bert. And Bert's made it be, I mean, Bert's let it be known he's a pagan priest. Bert believes in a thousands, well, gods. I'll say that. So, <clears throat> you know, and we I don't have enough time for your radio to to uh, go down all of them. But one of them, for instance, 1 Corinthians, where it talks about women should keep silent in the churches. You can do this with every single one of the things brought up. But in that same book, it talks about women speaking in church and how that's supposed to be. So it talks about the, and it talks about men too, by the way. So it, it lays it out for men and women. The point is, if you just take that one example, a full reading and a full understanding of the context clearly tells you more is going on than the simple, well, it tells women to be quiet in churches, so there you go, you know, anything other than that. No, the, the, the Bible's about the context. The Bible is about, there's a whole book in Philemon, in the end of the New Testament, written about how slaves are not um, are not just, you know, people who are owned by, they're your brother. And this this was written to a former slave owner, and he's sending the servant back to him and saying, you know, this is your brother now. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it's not, I, I encourage everybody, you know, not to let your heart be troubled too much. People are going to believe what they want to believe. And those references are things you can get from a lot of websites. But truthfully, if you really look at every single thing that was mentioned, there are answers in Scripture. To your other point, and um, let me say this, to your other point about the, the commercial. Okay, so in Jesus' time, some people came to him simply because they heard he was doing miracles, right? Correct. Correct. Once he started talking about some of the things that were deeper, like, hey, listen, if you follow me, it's not going to be easy. You need to understand who I am. That's when people started going away. But initially, to come to him, people didn't need to have the whole story. Some of those people who were drawn to him simply because they heard somebody's out there doing miracles, I don't know what's going on. We got to go see what's going on. Some of those people stayed, and some of those people left. Unless what they're saying is untrue, biblically speaking. I don't have a big problem with saying, here is, here, let me tell you about somebody. Because how can you tell somebody all there is to know about Jesus in 20,000 Super Bowl commercials, much less one, right? But if, now, I, I'll be honest with you, um, I didn't pay attention to those commercials as much. I think uh, I saw part of one. But if you're saying it, what, what was said was untrue, 
like it it de- specifically depicted him in a way that the Bible says is not true. That's one thing. But if it simply said he's a God of love, that's not wrong. That's not all he is. And when people come and figure that out, they'll have a choice to make. Fair enough? Fair enough. Thank you, JT. Um, appreciate it. That's kind of an interesting an interesting take on it. I'm not offended. I'm not bothered by it. Um and, and, you know, in the, I guess if we've got stages of adulthood in Christianity, I mean, I'm not in puberty, but I'm certainly not in the winter of my understanding of the complexities of Christ and, and the Bible and, and, and the gospel story and what it means. And, and I'm talking about theologically speaking, I mean, that, you know, I get lost because I'm not versed. I'm not trained. I'm not educated. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of self-taught and, and read a lot, you know, trying to better understand. I'll say this and then we'll take our next break. I had an interesting conversation just last week with a listener and the listener said, Hey, somebody was in our business the day before yesterday and asked this question. And, you know, I, I don't mind being the topic of a conversation that I don't have anything to do with. Uh, but he said, you know, does Ard understand that, that getting run out of politics allowed God to open an even bigger door with more influence? I mean, I don't have an office in the state house. I don't have a couch owned by John C. Calhoun. I don't have nine pieces of crown molding running around the top, but, but I, I really believe this, um, sincerely that my past misgiving or transgression led to God opening another door. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness is the only reason. I mean, I didn't go looking for a radio show. Rev can recount the story better than I did. I mean, I was a disgraced, scandalous politician, you know, wondering if he could put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And God opened a door one hour you know, one station that has turned into th- uh, four hours, three stations, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that ain't got a lot to do with me. I mean, that's that's the good Lord in heaven closing one door, allowing another to be opened, and um, and I don't take that for granted. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. He start talking about that long haired guy, that that revolutionary zealot. The phones light up. Let's go to the phones. A couple of callers are there. Cal in North Carolina. Hey, Cal. Hey, how are you, Dave? Morning. Hey, Ken. Hey, Cal. Uh, uh, I was listening, and uh, uh, I didn't get to hear the comment yesterday that was uh, uh, that's got Breezy all upset. But uh, uh, in First Corinthians eight one, it talks about it talks about idolatry and. Uh, and things like that, and it says that we uh, that we uh, know that uh, we all have knowledge. You know, when it's talking about food sacrifice to idols, and a lot of that stuff, it's like it's like Dave. Dave has not. We all have knowledge. Dave's got knowledge. Y'all shouldn't be so hard on yourself. Dave's got knowledge on how to uh, how to operate a radio station, and Breezy knows how to how to run a. Uh, health fitness place and uh you know you know how to make drug bits and idolaters they they understand idolatry and the bible says we all have knowledge but knowledge puffs up but love builds up you know so so we're supposed to be building one another up and uh you know loves loves the more important part of the story that uh, some people don't have knowledge in. In other, in other words, the ones of us that are mercy and love and kindness to one another, and that's our religious belief. You know, love builds up. 
and love prevails. That's what the Bible says. And uh, was it, Dave? Well, I was going to say, well, explain, Cal. We're going to try to get this next caller before we take our break, hard break, top of the hour. I think there's another caller there. Mike in Darlington. Hello, Mike. Hey, hey, Dave. Um, I think you can sum it up. It's in the Bible. It says, uh, "If I, uh, I have all power. If I, if I can heal the sick, if I can, if I can do anything." If I have the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I have nothing. And the whole thing about uh, it, you know, it goes to three questions. Who's Jesus Christ? What did he do for you? And what are you going to do about it? Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, uh, wow. We, we could, I mean, it, this is a subject that every time we touch on, um, the phones light up. I mean, that people just have a lot to say genuinely uh, trying to understand more and more and more about their faith, their relationship, um, you know, what they believe to be true and, and what they don't believe to be true. Let's go to the phone. We've got 45 seconds or so. Yeah. Anthony, North Carolina. Hello. Yeah. Ken, it's Anthony again. Uh, I just wanted to say that I had the same conversation yesterday with a truck driver. He heard your, your radio show yesterday. We were talking about it. It's funny though, but I just wanted to say, that all religions have miracles. If a Muslim woman having a baby and they having problems, she prays her God to please uh, bring me a miracle, and He do. She will be have faith in her religion, just as strong as a Christian would or Hindu would. And to me, God just laughing at them because they. I mean, He has control over all of them. But my thing is that Christians are they the only religion that don't have a dietary, um, a dietary program in a religion. If so, yeah, covered dishes at the Baptist Church. Hey, hang in there. We got to take a break. Back in a few. What I really want to know is would Jesus be a Democrat or a Republican? And I'm on, am I on the home team? <laughs> am, I, am I with the good guys? That's what I really, really, really want to know. I mean, the, the, the central debate that I'm trying to argue, I'm texting a couple of folks here during the break. Um, was Jesus as radical and as much a zealot? And as disruptive as I imagine he was, I mean, that, that's kind of, I mean, that's one of the, I mean, there's a lot of theological debates about Christ and, and how much of a, I mean, there's a book, Zealot, and, um, you know, uh, overthrowing the Roman government, and uh, it, it gets in the weeds a bit. And I'm not trying to argue that he was that. I mean, but, but, but was he as zealotry? Was he as disruptive? Was he as as divisive as I imagine. And some of the things I've read um, lead me to believe. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Anthony from North Carolina hung on through the break. Hey, Anthony. Yeah, Ken, first of all, I believe Jesus probably would have been an independent. And yeah, he probably wasn't a zealot because any time that somebody is a zealot in this country or in the world and, and they try to change things for the good, the evil kills them, assassinates them or put them on the cross or whatever it goes. But my question was, is the Christianity, I mean, the guy had a conversation, and it seems to me that the Christianity religion, the only religion that God doesn't give his people a meal plan, a dietary plan, what to eat and what not to eat. Because, you know, you, you can go to, to uh, over there in India, and they'll be over there starving, but they have a cow walking right beside them, and they won't kill it. But my, my question is, is because Christianity doesn't have a, a plan where God tells them what to eat and what not to eat, are we 
um, what's the word for it? Are we keeping the pharmaceutical companies going by being in overweight and bad health? The other countries they have a, a plan from God what to eat. They don't have the obesity problem, the 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 health problem that we have. We as a as a country of Christians don't have where God tells us what, what to eat, what not to eat. We eat everything, just pray, pray over it. And it got us in a place where we the most obese and the most sick country there is. Is that because our religion don't give us a, a, a plan on what to eat or not to eat? I don't have any idea. Uh, high fructose corn syrup. When I look at some of the um, – thank you, appreciate the call, Anthony. When I look at some of the charting of obesity and unhealthiness and insurance actuaries and uh, the cost of health care in America today – I mean, the, the one, and I'm not saying this, it's all to blame, or there's one particular issue we can blame for it all, but high fructose corn syrup is, is absolutely one of the central ingredients to our obesity problem, our, um, our ex- the expensive nature of our health care. I mean, we, we can argue about big pharma lobbying the government, you know, the insurance companies lobbying um, the government. Uh, I watched some of the Murdoch trial. I hadn't watched much this week. I watched a little bit yesterday, um, but, but. It, it's it's we, we always debate how to elect judges in South Carolina. I've come up with an argument. Let the lawyers pick half the judges. Let the insurance companies pick the other half because that's who we argue over. I mean, the, you know, the trial lawyers have one um, perception. The insurance companies have another perception. So when we argue about should we elect judges, should we appoint judges, should they have lifetime terms, 10-year terms, what criteria should we institute as a, you know, kind of a requirement to become a judge, um, during the Murdoch trial, that there's a lot of debate about insurance companies and in, insurance settlements and, and you know, the, the lawyers meeting at Hilton Head with the Trial Lawyers Association, and they're having a fundraiser. I mean, one of the um, one of the witnesses basically said, you know, before I got there, I had to go buy a fundraiser, and I think it was for Senator Harpootlian. And Senator Harpootlian's a defense attorney, you know, representing Alec Murdoch. So, so the guy sitting there made a contribution. I mean, he's the, uh, he's the Mallory Beach lawyer. Remember the boat race in Paul, um, and the, and the young lady got killed, and there was a big lawsuit pending. Um, so um, so the beach, the beach family attorney is being um, cross examined by Senator Harpootlian's team, and Senator Harpootlian received a contribution from the lawyer. I mean, it, it's just a very um, what an incestuous yeah. system. Um, yeah. no, no question about it. I, I want to get uh, there's there's a couple of interesting. I mean, I've, I've held on this poll for long enough, but I got a an SCGOP. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there, and then we'll um we'll kind of get in the world of politics. Joel in Marion. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Hey, Joel. How are you? Doing fine. Listen, I, I was interested. What uh, reasons did the man who said Jesus is just a preacher have for coming to that conclusion? I would imagine he is. Um, uh, I mean, he has studied certain uh, material that have convinced him. I mean, I would argue, you know, political spin. If you read Breitbart, you think everything's the the Democrats' fault. If you read Huffington Post, you'll think everything is the uh, is the Republicans' fault. Neither is true. Uh, so, so you know, he's disputing the biblical accounting. Let me back up. He's he's disputing the biblical interpretation that Christians have of the life of Christ. Okay, uh, well, I'm, I have a master's in divinity and a doctorate. Most of the people that I talk to that come to these conclusions like to point out things like contradictions or this says this one place and says in the other. 
and they dismiss it as being totally irrelevant because it's not true, because it contradicts, failing to realize that <clears throat> the truth is not in what is written exactly, but what is meant. Um, for instance, uh, and you read John, John has a um, Passover date of one thing, and Synoptic Gospels have another. Well, now they find out that there's two different calendars being used in each one. So there's no lie, there's no contradiction, it's the way that it's seen. Um, and it's really a shame that, you know, they, these are superficial reasons because the depth that's required to understand it requires a lot of prayer and study, as well as a lot of um, delving into it for your own personal enrichment. Uh, well, explain. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. And obviously someone who has um, become educated in uh, divinity and, and theology, I mean, you would know far more about that in an academic and scholarly way than I or the majority of our of our listeners. Hey, a um, couple of things real quick. I found an interesting story um, that I want to, it's in the Wall Street Journal, and it's about Chevron. And I want to tell you why this story matters in the world of politics. The Chevron Board of Directors are considering whether or not to waive the company's mandatory requ- uh, retirement age. They, they got a CEO named Mike Worth, and they like him a lot. I mean, he's performed um, splendidly. I mean, he's really and truly put Chevron in a, in a great place. Um, they don't have an internal candidate ready to succeed, uh, Mr. Worth. He will reach the fixed retirement age of 65 in 2025. And the board of directors is, is probably playing two, two angles here. One, they, they really like the job he's doing. And, and, and secondly, they don't believe there's anybody internally that, that is of the quality to promote to CEO at this point in time. So they're going to this week take up whether or not to waive the mandatory retirement age of 65. So one of the biggest oil producing um, companies in the world, um, I think it's the fifth largest oil company in the world. Um, they're going to make, basically take on, I mean, he, they, they would normally be taking on this year long process of what is it? Secession planning, and finding a replacement for Mr. Worth, who has done an admirable job. He's 62 years old. He's an engineer. He's been a Chevron employee for over 40 years. He became the chairman and CEO in 2018. Um, and Chevron was struggling prior to his time there uh, with project cost overruns. Um, you know, they um, become far less profitable with the oil market crash. Um, but he has led the company admirably. Um, their refining business, their, their chemical business. Um, the Wall Street Journal says the margins are very critical in, in some of these businesses, and he's done a spectacular job at managing the margins. He's just been a damn good CEO. He's been a really good CEO. He turns 63 next month, and and they're concerned that they don't have anybody waiting in the wings, and they really like the job this guy's doing. So Chevron has an internal policy of replacing its CEO mandatorily at 65 years old. When you're 65, they've decided you're past your prime, by and large. Now they're thinking about, the board of directors is thinking about waiving that mandatory requirement. At the same time, on the same page of the Wall Street Journal, Diane Feinstein was asked by a reporter about the, the notification she had gave, given out yesterday about her retiring. Diane Feinstein said, and she's 89, she's a senator until 2023, I think she runs again in 20, 
2024. Well, she's senator until 2025. I mean, January is when they, in other words, she is a senator for two more years. She's 89. Um, there is a lot of rumblings about memory loss and dementia and some of the other impairments you deal with when you get to be 80. So the private sector is trying to figure out a way to keep a guy past 65. Diane Feinstein was asked by a reporter yesterday um, about the announcement she made, and she answered, and I got it verbatim in the Wall Street Journal. Well, I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. A staff member for Feinstein quickly intervened and said, Senator, we put out your statement this morning. Feinstein said, you put out the statement. I should have known they put it out. So you've got a company in Chevron that understands the realities of the marketplace, the animal spirits of capitalism. How do we survive, sustain, prosper, benefit? We got a guy that's 63 and he's real good at his job, but our internal policy says he has to retire at 65 because historically that's when they're past their prime. You need to get new blood, new ideas, fresh vision. Diane Feinstein doesn't know she's retiring, but somebody told her she was at the age of 89. I mean, the, 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 the absurdity of a, of, a, of, a, of a congressional leader, and she is a ranking member, folks, who doesn't know which way to turn and which way to go. I mean, it's, she's, a, she's, she's nearly 90, and she contemplated whether to run again in 2024. She's decided against it. She, she releases a statement saying, you know, I, I'm retiring. You guys, I'm sure, will, will um, honor me in the right way. There'll be big portraits and bust, and I mean, it'll be beside the Zelensky bust, I guess, in the uh, in the halls <laughs> of Congress. But um, I mean, it just it, it, those two pages, excuse me, those two articles are on the same digital page of the Wall Street Journal. And I, I mean, if you wonder why we're screwed, I mean, you got one for-profit company looking at the world in a fundamental way. I mean, there's it, it's a margin-driven world. It's a performance-driven world. It's a meritocracy. You better run the oil company as it needs to be run or you don't survive. And then you've got a lady nearly 90 who says she's not running again but had to be reminded on the same day she made the announcement by a aide who intervened with a reporter to remind. Um, so, so here's the story. You ready? Diane Feinstein's been told she's retiring. Wow. And we wonder why we worry about our superpower status. And, and, and where we stack up. And here we are trying to manage the affairs of Ukraine. And, and, and you know, I got a story here of Saudi Arabia. I mean, he, the, the, the never-Trumpers always talk about Trump and Saudi Arabia. Well, we got a big story here about Biden and Saudi Arabia and what his brothers, excuse me, his brother did in regards to Saudi Arabian lawsuit that he helped settle, helped settle. And he basically said, because it's the Biden, the Biden name. But when you want to know what's wrong with government and what's right about the private sector, one is, is, is measured by results. Chevron has a guy doing a great job, but the, the policies say he can't do that great job for, but for a couple of years. They're trying to figure out a way to waive some of the mandatory requirements, and, and, and Feinstein has been told that she's not running for U.S. Senate again. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. George in West Columbia. Morning, George. I was calling about your comment about Jesus being a radical. Um, Jesus was the Son of God. He wasn't radical. We are. Jesus came to set the world straight. Um, people don't understand that the entire world was under the wrath of God from the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. When Adam sinned, sin passed upon all men, but all of their sins come short of the glory of God. 
the only way out of that rat is to ask for forgiveness for God. The Bible says, let the wicked man forsake his way, ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord who will have mercy on him and to his God who will abundantly pardon him. So the only way out of the out from under the wrath of God is through asking for forgiveness of your sins and then turning from those sins and not ever going back to them and then begin to seek the Spirit of the Lord, which is salvation itself. So again, Jesus wasn't radical, we are. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. Let's do this before we get to our next guest. we got a guest at 7.30 from Fox News about Nikki Haley announcing her run for president. Hot off the presses. You ready? I'm ready. Here's the SCGOP poll. 700 um, text and phone calls made to, I think it's three or four primary voters. Um, you who have voted in three of the last four Republican primaries. Donald Trump at 35%. Ron DeSantis at 22%, despite not being an announced candidate. Nikki Haley at 16%. Tim Scott at 1.6%. Now, that number will go up substantially if Tim announces, and I think he will. Mike Pence, 1.5%. Undecideds are 24%. Nothing really surprising about that. That's a little lower than I imagine Trump would be. But but a lot of the DeSantis 22 would have gone to Trump. Um, If Ron DeSantis announces he's running, he's the front runner. He's not a former president. He's not one-to-one in presidential campaigns, but Ron DeSantis, it's pretty clear to me, if DeSantis's number was less than Haley and Trump was at 40, 41, 42, 43, Trump's the front runner. Trump's the favorite. Now, South Carolina's going to be an outlier because Haley is a native son, a native daughter of South Carolina, and Tim Scott, if he gets in, will obviously gain some benefit being in the Charleston area. So Nikki will do real well. And I looked at some of the polling, some of the, uh, what am I trying to say here? So some of the uh, underlying, uh, what am I, it's not underpinning. So some of the, it's not the sample. I mean, it's the, um, uh, it, it's where they call the voters and where the voters are located. So Nikki did well in the Midlands, much better than she did along the coast, much better than she did in the upstate. She's from Lexington. So she's kind of her hometown. Uh, Bamberg grew up in Bamberg, you know, lives in Lexington, or I think lives in Hilton Head now after she made some money, um, but, but you know, spent most of her life in, in Lexington County. Um, Trump did exceedingly well in the upstate. There's still a big um, avalanche of support in the upstate. Um, DeSantis did well along the coast. That's interesting to me. I mean, he's a Florida governor. There's a lot of retirees along our coast. There's a lot of retirees in, in, um, in Florida. Uh, it's just, it's kind of interesting to me. Now, now, I'm trying to get Robert Cahaley to come on maybe first of next week. We won't do a show Monday because of President's Day, but I want Robert to take these numbers. I mean, these are real numbers. This is a SCGOP-endorsed poll, Trump at 35. He needed to be at 40, guys. With DeSantis as a non-announced candidate, Trump needed to be at 40. DeSantis needed to be less than 20. Haley's about where I thought she'd be. Tim will take some of the the wind out of Haley's sail in South Carolina. In other words, Tim will go from 1-6 to probably 12 or 13. Nikki will probably go down to 11 or 12. Um, I mean, obviously, that uh, Trump's numbers will come down a little bit. DeSantis's numbers will come down just a little bit. It'll be very interesting to see a non-South Carolina poll 
that the South Carolina poll is not going to be a great representation because once again, you've got a, a formally announced candidate, Nikki Haley, and, and another who we think sooner than later is going to announce their candidacy, that being Tim Scott. So when you get to Iowa, when you get to New Hampshire, some of these other early states, uh, Scott nor Haley will be that well received. And, and I think we'll get some clarity on DeSantis by the end of next week. I mean, I don't think he makes an announcement by the end of next week. Now, Ed Rollins and some of the other establishment-oriented, they're grifters. I mean, they're trying to associate themselves with Ron DeSantis, that they're trying to make it look like they're working with super PACs. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Trump team convinced Ed Rollins to appear to be a bundler or running a super PAC for DeSantis because that makes a lot of us question whether DeSantis is truly America first enough. So, so we got this linear graph. We talked about it. On one end of the extreme is Chris Christie. I mean, he's an absolute establishment Republican. On the other is Donald Trump, the quintessential America firster. There's a 50-yard line halfway down that linear graph. I think Nikki Haley's on the wrong side of the 50. I think Tim Scott's on the right side of the 50. But I don't think Tim Scott is as close to America first as Ron DeSantis is and will be perceived once he announces he's getting in. And I just don't think DeSantis can wait. I mean, there's not a corresponding political job. I mean, if he gets out of the governorship of Florida, uh, as I think Jeff said yesterday, what does he do, sit around and go on Fox News for two years? I mean, it's hard to re-engage. So I think it's almost essential that he announces probably in the month of March that he's running for president. And when Trump's numbers came in, less than 40, DeSantis is more than 20. I think there's a new front runner in the Republican primary. Really? And yeah, I mean, above 20 as an announced candidate, below 40 as a former president. Now, that's odd. We don't have former presidents running for office much anymore. But, but Donald Trump has lost a little bit of his shine. I mean, he's still the leading candidate. He's still the top Republican, but he's lost a little bit of that luster and shine. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. I go back to the poll, and I just think Nikki's problem is going to be, I mean, what did Bob Dylan say? you got to serve somebody. And there's this big dividing line in the Republican Party between America First and establishment. And I think the majority of Republicans are looking for, not the Trumpsters. I mean, the Trumpsters are diehard. I mean, he's their guy, and it's 30, 33, 34, maybe 36 or 7 percent in some places. But I think the majority of Republicans are looking for a hybrid. But it's going to be have to it's going to have to be closer to to America first than it is a, a Chris Christie or Mike Pence or Mike Pompeo. I just don't see a candidate like that gaining much traction. I really don't. Rev, I think there's been an evolution in the Republican base. It, it is it is kind of an anti-globalist, anti-interventionist anti-establishment mindset i'm not saying it's where the party should be but it's it's absolutely where the party where the party is today to quote another bob dylan song the times the times they are changing and trump changed those (laughs) in a very very um in in a mighty way um republican strategist and metropolitan republican club leader chrisha lenzo is with us miss lenzo good morning how are you i'm doing great good morning so do you agree with my analysis that, that Nikki's job, as she announces her candidacy, is to be somewhat of a hybrid, just enough establishment, just enough America first. I would completely agree because that is really her background. Um, 
she started out as a never Trumper uh, before resigning to serve in the Trump administration. And then she worked and supported the president. Um, and she certainly has that, you know, she certainly has the chops. Um, she was a former ambassador. She was a governor. So she is that great hybrid because she has the international experience, but she also has the gubernatorial experience as an executive role. So um, I, I would say if you were to pick someone who fits that, it would be Nikki Haley. That being said, are, are the Republicans going to get behind her? I think it's a long shot at this point. Well, what do you think her struggles will be? You talked about some of the exemplary qualities. What do, you, what do you see as some of her impediments to gaining traction in a primary? I do think she's going to be labeled the never Trumper that she initially was. Um, even uh, one of pro-Trump uh, or one of the pro-Trump PACs, the, one of the leaders, Taylor uh, Budowich, he came out and said she's just another career politician. And that's really how she's going to be painted because she's only had these career politician type roles. She's never had the business experience that President Trump has had. So I think that's going to be glaring when she walks on a debate stage against the former president. And also there is that level of respect there. I mean, when she gets on a debate stage again, I think it's going to, I don't think she's going to slam uh, President Trump as hard as some of the other candidates are going to. And that's going to be evident as well. Many people are saying she's not running for president. She's running for vice president at this point. Let me ask you a question. If Trump's not an 800-pound gorilla any longer, is he a 700-pounder? Is he a 600-pounder? Is he a 500-pounder? I mean, I, I'm one that believes his value has been diminished, but not greatly nor significantly. Um, wh wh where do you have Trump as we move forward and add candidates to the field in this Republican primary? I would say he's a 700-pound gorilla because when you look at the math, there could be dozens of other candidates, and it's going to be a crowded space. And when that happens, it's going to be 2016 all over again because it's going to be 30 to 40 percent of the party already supporting Donald Trump. And all these other candidates, whether it's Tim Scott, whether it's Mike Pence, whether it's DeSantis, they're just going to dilute the, the rest of the, the field. So um, it really doesn't even depend on how many people enter the race. It really depends on when they leave the race. And at this point, it's just going to be more and more people entering um, to try to get their name out there. And, and we'll see that. Another weird way to analyze, but if Trump's if Trump has diminished from 800 to 700, is DeSantis the three or 400 pound gorilla in the room? And everybody's kind of waiting to see whether he gets in the fray or not. I would say that's precisely correct. Um, because, but if you look at it, this is what I, more than percentages, you look at policies, um, whether you like Trump or not, whether you like DeSantis, I mean, at this point, they have the same policies. We're looking at rhetoric here. We're, we're looking at personality. So whoever gets in the race, they really have to make a name for themselves on how they're going to differentiate from President Trump's policies. And as you started off, I mean, they're not a lot of the Republicans um, want America first policies. They're no longer the party of the establishment. They recognize that there's corruption in D.C. The only people who can change it are those who support America first. And when we look at the geopolitical landscape, where we have balloons practically every day flying over our country, who's going to solve these problems? It's likely going to be someone who is very much aligned with President Trump. You're a strategist. I'm a radio show host. I point out all the problems. It's your job to tell us the solutions to the issues. I don't yeah. care who the nominee is. If they don't do a better job of, of, of when I'm talking about the ground game, unsolicited mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting, identifying folks who will vote, in primaries or, or general elections, you can't go in Arizona 250,000 votes behind. 
400,000 votes behind in Pennsylvania, 300,000 votes behind in um, in Georgia. What have the Republicans do to catch up? What have they done to catch up to the Democrats in this post-COVID voting month instead of election day? Well, nobody likes to talk about election integrity because that is almost a taboo topic at this point. But they have raised awareness, whether people want to air it on national news or not. Um, the Republicans are working behind the scenes to make sure that we don't have another issue in Arizona again, as we even just saw most recently. So um, there are intelligent lawyers who are finally getting ahead of the curve when it comes to you know, mail-in ballots, ballot harvesting. And I, I mean, a part of this is also we have to assume that there's going to be a level of fraud, um, as we saw in some of the past election cycles, that we can't account for. But that's going to make us work that much harder. We have to work harder in those states where we know we're vulnerable, where we know that Arizona is corrupt. Um, we have to get into Maricopa County early. We have to make sure that we are watching for some of these election irregularities. It can't happen again if we're going to win. Um, well, but, you know, we have to win fairly. That, that's part of it. Well explained. Thank you, Ms. Linzo. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Uh, kind of an interesting perspective. Um, can Nikki win? Someone asked me that yesterday afternoon. Short answer, no. But but is 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 being on the short list for a VP candidate losing? I mean, when you really think right. about it, I mean – what, what does Nikki really and truly have to lose? And, and you know, my, my relationship with Nikki goes back to 2010. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I don't know of a radio show host who had a closer view at the ascension of Nikki Haley than I did. I mean, I'm running for lieutenant governor. She's running for governor. It's a Gresham Barrett, Andre Bauer, Henry McMaster primary. You got a sitting AG, a sitting lieutenant governor, a sitting member of Congress, and a kind of a young House member from Bamberg. And the next thing you know, Sarah Palin at the crescendo of the Tea Party shows up in Columbia, endorses Nikki Haley, and as we like to say in Paris and Pamplico, the rest is histoire. And so, so I mean, I, I, I had a very up-close-and-personal um, view of the ascension of Nikki Haley, and, and I said it, and I'll say it again. She is going to be unbelievably disciplined. She is as ambitious as anybody I know and have ever known in the world of politics, I just don't know the lane. I mean, I, I think you've confused people by, you know, promising to never run against Trump and and admiring the work of Donald Trump, and now it's time for a new generation. Well, I mean, is it, you know, is, is it America first or not? Is it establishment or not? I just think she's gotten, she's tried to have it not both ways, Reb, but every way. And I think you confuse voters and people stop trusting you. When they when they think you're a bit of a um, I mean I read some some um, I mean somebody in the Federalist had an uh, power line had an interesting uh, they went back and and looked at a lot of tweets she said and I'm telling you guys um, there's a whole different level level of vetting when you run for president than if you run for governor of South Carolina I mean you get fairly thoroughly vetted if you run for South Carolina statewide office I mean I can vouch for that I mean they know a lot of things you did and when you did it why you did it and how you did it and and they take that narrative and run. It's called opposition research. Um, but if somebody spends ten grand in opposition reach for research for a governor's race in South Carolina or a lieutenant governor's race in South Carolina, they're going to spend a million, and they're going to dig, and they're going to find things that you don't want them to find. I mean, that's just the nature of living our lives. What We all have made mistakes. 
the majority of people don't run for office, so their mistakes are normally and by and large kept private. Your mistakes are going to be front and center. How does the public deal with um, this perceived persona juxtaposed to, you know, a couple of um, questions that people eventually uh, will have? 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Williams in Orangeburg. Good morning. You're on the air. Uh, Ken, what were you doing in 1969? In 1969, I was born in 1963. I was doing whatever my mom and daddy told me to do, probably. <laughs> hey, what was the unemployment rate back in 1969? Williams, I have no idea, but I got a feeling you do. <laughs> what was the unemployment uh, this past uh, the 1st of February? See, I don't look at the unemployment number, Williams. I look at the workforce participation number because that's the number that matters to me. That's people who are able and willing, excuse me, who are able to work. Some are choosing to, some are not choosing to. The unemployment number doesn't count the people that should be working, but but have figured out a way to live without seeking a job. Well, well, we, 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 like Trump used to say, he used to have the best unemployment ever, right? But... Um, Biden got, what was it, 3.4? I think it's 3.6. I think that's the unemployment number no, today, 3.6. No, 3. 3. 3. Okay, 3.4. More people yeah, not looking for jobs. 3. 4 is 69, too. That's the last time it was 3.4. What do you think about that? That's a, that's a low unemployment number. No question about that. That's um, needed. And it's still, still got people out there want to work. You know what I'm saying? I got you, William. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. So I want to, let's look up real quick. Workforce participation rate. I want to get that. I, I bet it's under, that's eh, probably not under um, 62 yet, but it will be workforce participation rate 20. I think it was higher in 1969. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we're, we're recalculating. Um, we're recalculating. Uh, U.S. Labor Force, 62.4 in January 2023. Um you know, there's an interesting dichotomy in American society today, and and I don't know the answer to this, but it's almost an epidemic. It's the number of working age men not working full time jobs. That's an interesting statistic and number. I mean, I tried to make light of the workforce participation rate a couple of weeks ago. When you know, I've always said, getting back to he gets us and, and the ad campaign about Jesus. I've always believed that eventually America will become divided based on kind of a macro and that macro will be those who believe and have a faith in God and those who don't talk with Dr. Bolt yesterday about being a deist. And, um, you know, some of the founders didn't want religion involved in, in the way we govern ourselves. I've, I've revisited my decision to the macro. Um, I mean, the God thing is going to be a big deal. You know, those who believe in God have a biblical worldview. Um, those who don't believe in God have a very secular worldview. You're on this side. Uh, you're on this side. You kind of, you segregate yourselves accordingly but, but I, you know, I joke around and say, I tell my wife this all the time, that if you're one of the 37.5% who figured out a way to, to get through life without working and have not won the lottery, you aren't a trust fund baby, then God bless you. I mean, I, you know, I can't do it. I can't figure it out. I've never won the lottery. I'm not a trust fund baby. So I'm one of the 62% that have to hump it to get what I want to get, what I need to get to make my boat stay afloat. The 30 six percent or 37 percent it's about 37 percent of you out there who you know kind of circulate in the same world we circulate with 
You just don't have anywhere to go and anything to do. You're not beholden to a schedule. I'm a little bit envious and jealous, and all I'm asking is for a little respect. You know, you 37% don't have anywhere to go, a 63% do, so allow us to get where we need to get. <laughs> you see where I'm headed? I mean, when you're standing in line buying 50 yeah, lottery tickets, understand way. that there are three of us back here need to pay for the gas and move on, need to pay for the soft drink and, and move on, need to pay for that. You know what I mean? Whatever it is we've got in our hands, we, we, we're not, we don't have the luxury that you 37 or 8% do. We've got places to go and things to do. And it's, I mean, it's, it's so unbelievable in American society and culture how many people are just dabbling around. I mean, it's bizarre to me. You know, I don't know what it was like when I was younger, Red, because I wasn't as observant. I didn't pay close attention to how many people were standing around doing nothing. But but it amazes me when you um when you go somewhere in the middle of the day on a weekday, how many working age men in particular just aren't working. And it, it is a it is a staggering percentage of working age men who are choosing. I'm not talking about disabled. I'm not talking about retired from the military. I'm talking about just choosing to not work. That they benefit off these 70, 75, you know, means-tested and non-means-tested government programs, handouts, welfare, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, you inject descriptive word um, there. But and, and once again, I'm envious and jealous. I'm confessing I'm envious and jealous that I've not been able to figure out a way to keep my boat afloat without going to work. All I'm asking, I don't need the envy returned. I don't need the jealousy returned. Give me some respect. And let me get where I need to get so I can pay both my bills and yours. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Bruno in Florence. Good morning. Hey, hey guys. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Hey, hey Ken. I, this is going to blow your mind. Because it, because it totally, totally blew mine. Do you know that South Carolina got so much money from COVID? That they're still still are giving finding programs. They they got give the money away, and the only reason I know this, I, I, I ran in, into a a guy that ran worked worked in a restaurant, and I saw him on the streets. I said, "Hey, I haven't seen you in a while." He said, "Yeah, I quit." He says, "South Carolina government sent out a thing that paid his six months rent, and only only thing he he had to do is say that." Uh, COVID affected his his um, life, and 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 he just got a check for sixty eight hundred dollars, and now he 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 quit his job and he's working like four hours a, a day doing Uber and 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 a DoorDash. I just uh, you know, thought I just wanted to know if you you knew that. Well, let me th thank thank you the thank for the call. Appreciate your time. I mean, go back to the numbers I've used since the beginning of of the pandemic, ah, not the beginning of the pandemic, when the, when the government began responding to the pandemic, when the government ordered shutdowns and ordered, you know, mandated vaccines and all the, if you couldn't travel, couldn't go to school, um, South Carolina received about six, excuse me, about $8.9 billion. I mean, that, that's, that's CARES and American Rescue Plan money, uh, $8.9 billion. 6.3 of the 8.9 went to the public sector. Let me say that again. Because I think that's a staggering percentage. $8.9 in newly printed fiat currency made its way to South Carolina. Now, I'm not blaming the General Assembly because they didn't have any authority over this money. I mean, this money was earmarked. It's going to education. It's going to vaccine awareness programs. 
It irks me to no end when I see a digital billboard today. Have you been vaccinated? You know, we've got a free vaccine. Nothing's free, guys. I mean, either, you know, when, when even when they print money, I mean, it's backstopped by the full faith and credit of the federal government. That's you, the taxpayer. That's we, the taxpayer. Um, when they print currency, put it on the market, there's a buyer for that debt. That's still debt. I mean, that's still incurred debt that we will one day somehow try to repay. But but 6.3 of the $8.9 billion in fiat currency that the government created out of thin air went to some government agency somewhere to do something with. I don't have any idea how much education got. Uh, I got a buddy in the banking business, and he tells me that the government agencies that he banks, and I'm talking about school districts and, and local governments, they have more money than they've ever had. That's why he's a little bit skeptical about whether or not we'll have a recession because the public sector still has so much money backstopped by whom? The private sector, of course. I mean, that's the way the world works today. So um, when I see a digital billboard, and I and I see them today, I mean, you'll see one today, you know, um, COVID Vaccine Awareness Day. Um, stop by, you know, call 1-800-such-and-such, such-and-such, and get your free vaccine. Um, wow. We're still encouraging everybody to be vaccinated despite some of the newfound information that questions the durability and effectiveness of said vaccine. Take a break. We'll be back in a few. Hey, we do this every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Today is no different. Um, health insurance is complicated. We've talked extensively about it. You guys have kind of been along on a journey with me trying to find better health care, more affordable health care. I mean, when you eat what you kill, you're self-employed, you're a private contractor, there aren't uh, an abundance of opportunities out there enticing enough to convince you it's worth it. I mean, there just aren't. Um, you got monopolies. Uh, I don't want to call names, but you got monopolies operating in certain states. The monopolies can operate in other states, and it just ain't fair, as we like to say in the country. Um, everyone's situation is different. There's a company called, um, uh, well, I mean, the, the name of the company is. Um, realchoicehealthcare.com. Um, when you plan on buying insurance, health insurance, you don't have to go to the exchanges. I mean, there are other options out there. Um, there's a guy named Christian Levis at Real Choice Healthcare who has been helping people get the right coverage at the best rate for years and years and years, helping some people and families save 500 to $1,000 a month to get better coverage. You don't get coverage you don't need. Um, so I'm talking to those of you who are paying for your own health insurance. If you're on a COBRA plan, if you're uninsured, call Christian Levis at 864-362-4700. 864-362-4700. Or go to realchoicehealthcare.com. They're quality plans. They're chosen and managed by you with the help of Christian, not the government. Uh, after all, guys, it's your health. It's your choice. Um, go to Real Healthcare, excuse me, realchoicehealthcare.com. Um, Rev and I talked to the guy. And um, I mean, Obamacare screwed a lot of people. Uh, if you're a big plan, big government worker on a big government plan, working a big business with a big, you know, group policy, I'm probably not as bad off as. Uh, those of us who eat what we kill, so to speak, and one and two and three man uh, operations, it, it's expensive. 
I mean, it's stupid expensive, and Christian is able to help you save some money. 843-661-0937. Do we have a call? Okay, no call. I want to go back to COVID for a second because I think there's some intrigue here. Um, We're beginning to really unravel some of what we were told and – uh, you know, the, the first step of, I don't say the first step of healing, but, but the, the, the first step of reflection is what was I told that was wrong? Well, a lot of what you were told was wrong, but, but we'll mark some of that up to not knowing any better. I mean, it's first time in a pandemic. Um, you, you said we, we are unraveling now and we are, we've been talking about these issues for quite a while. Twitter is allowing these conversations now, but besides that, Besides the fact that Robert Malone has a voice talking about vaccines in a public, you know, in a public place on Twitter, for example, how are we unraveling? Well, and, I mean, and- some of the polling I read, um, the number of parents who regret allowing their kid to be vaccinated is is exponentially increasing. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's it's up to something like forty one or forty two percent. It's not a majority because there's still a fear factor. I mean, Americans by and large become afraid, conditioned to conform, staying here. Why? Because I said so. Okay, good enough for me. Um, in the good old days, when America's at its best, stand here. Why? Because uh, I told you so. You got to do better than that. <laughs> you know, you got to give me a better reason than that to stand here. I'm just saying I don't see well, I mean, the discussion I, I in, in mainstream saying. media but, yet. But, but you would agree the mainstream media does not move the meter. 18% of Americans trust the mainstream media. True. So, I mean, it, it really has become somewhat of a, um, I don't want to say it's an entertainment article, but the majority of people watching I mean, let me ask you a question. You'll be a good case study here. When you watch Fox News, are you watching for the news or are you watching to be entertained? <laughs> I mean, you've told me before. I like yeah, I like Jesse Waters, man. Yeah, He's entertaining. I, he is entertaining. T- Tucker sings my song, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yep. Tucker's kind of an anti-interventionist, anti-globalist. I don't perceive Tucker to be newsy. I mean, no, he's not a journalist. No. I mean, Brett Baer to me is Well, news. Brett Baer would be a journalist. The 6 o'clock show on Fox would be the closest thing they have to an actual news broadcast. Um, CNN has a show, Jake Tapper. I mean, they, they would argue he's fair and impartial. I don't believe that, but they would. You know, the liberal side of the debate. But but when we look at the unraveling, and maybe that's not the right word. Maybe you challenged me in a place that I deserved uh, to be challenged. Um, we've had a political and health scandal. And Robert Malone, the guy responsible for part of the science to create the mRNA vaccine, um, wants that debate to be had. I mean, he wants it in the public. In the and public he was life. silenced for a while. Correct. Until- but because Twitter was not owned by Elon Musk, and they censored uh, a lot of the debate. They tamped down the opinions. I think Nancy Mace, I'd love to get this. Um, see if you can find this during the break, and we'll play it in our next segment. Nancy Mace challenged some of the Twitter executives, or former Twitter executives, on why they didn't allow a Stanford educated physician's opinion to be heard. Why they didn't allow a Vanderbilt educated or a Duke educated or a Harvard educated um, physician. I'm not saying those guys are any, oh, they probably are on average smarter than the, the majority of Americans. But, but I mean, w- when you have a Twitter account and as part of your bio, you're a, a, a virologist from Stanford. I mean, you deserve to be heard. It doesn't matter what your opinion is, Reb. If you are a, a, a virologist from Stanford or a, a medical doctor from Harvard, and you have an opinion contrary to public, and I'm talking about the um, the corporate media in conjunction with the political class, the establishment, uh, the deep state. You you deserve to have your opinion heard. Well, the the only number, the the only benchmark that I'll use, Reb, 
is the number of parents who regret now allowing their kid to be vaccinated. Remember early on, it was, um, I mean, you and I even said, yeah, I mean, if you're over the age of 60, especially if you're over the age of 60 and have any sort of comorbidity, go get vaccinated. I mean, you're making a smart health decision, but don't do it because a radio show host said it. Go do it because your medical, I mean, consult your medical professional and take his advice, heed his warnings. And the majority of medical professionals now, I mean, there's a pretty good consensus now that agree it's still the case. If you're over the age of 60, if you have any comorbidity, and I'm talking about obesity or immunodeficiency, you need to go get the vaccine. I mean, it, 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 it improves the likelihood of you not getting sick if you get COVID. But if you're under the age of 50, that there's a fair debate. Remember the linear graph with Trump and Chris Christie mm-hmm. on one end? Um, that there's kind of a linear graph. You know, when do I get vaccinated? When do I get vaccinated? If I'm, if I'm an infant, I don't get vaccinated. If I'm five years old and healthy, I don't get vaccinated. If I'm 15 and healthy, I don't get vaccinated. If I'm 25 and healthy, I don't get vaccinated. If I'm 40 and a comorbidity, hmm. If I'm 40 and diabetic, if I'm 40 and smoke, if I'm 40 and, and, and obese, then you kind of like, okay, there, there's where the debate begins. But there should have never been a debate about vaccinating children, period. It made no sense that there is no legitimate data out there that shows kids are at high risk of COVID. In fact, they're probably more at high risk of having that experimental drug in their system. That, that's what we know now. But, but here's what so, some of the articles I'm reading say. Um, because we do have recent revelations. One of the most important revelations is the one you just mentioned, Elon Musk buying Twitter. I don't think we understand how big a John Brown deal that was in the grand scheme of things, because some of the, um, some of the narratives, some of the opinion uh, relating to the, to the COVID-19 pandemic were not allowed to exist. I mean, that they were squelched, they were censored. Um, and, and we would have had a very different perspective had we been allowed to hear from uh, 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 Stanford-educated virologists who says, I have a lot of questions about the science. I have a lot of questions about the, the data. Forget the, the mask for a second. I'm talking about the vaccine. I don't think there's a legitimate debate to be had about the mask. I mean, I really and truly don't. I have not seen to this day a single peer-reviewed research project that shows the mask works. I mean, I've heard I, 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 you know, it's been repeated. Um, there's been some debate, and, I, and I've looked a lot, that there is not any peer-reviewed data about the mask. There is on the vaccine. There's a very genuine and warranted debate to be had about the vaccine. But public polling, when you talk about unraveling, to me the unraveling is evident when you look at public polling. And you ask a parent of an 18-year-old, did you get your kid vaccinated? Yes. When? January 2021, do you think it was the right decision today? Uh, I'm not sure that there have been some revelations, that there have been some summaries that I've heard about and read about. Why? I mean, they don't say Elon Musk bought Twitter, but but that really liberated some of the other side, some of the opinions of, and, and I, I've never heard a doctor say, don't get vaccinated. I mean, I've never heard Dr. Robert Malone say, don't get vaccinated. I've heard Dr. Robert Malone say, if you're young and healthy, and that there's a, you know, consult your medical provider, but Pfizer doesn't get paid unless they inject vaccines. And, um, and, and, and you really go back to, and here I try to turn everything into politics because I read an article 
and Zero Hedge. Imagine that. <laughs> um, Zero Hedge has a controversial article. But they actually go all the way back to, to Western populations and the, the Hobbs-Lock debate about, you know, um, Leviathan and the security government provides um, this priestly form of authority that government provides. I mean, that's Hobbes and some of the language he wrote in, in Leviathan. And that's actually his words, um, a priestly form of authority. And then you've got Locke who says these, um, these, these, these systems of protection are not warranted or never should never be warranted above personal privilege. You know, in other words, if, if Dave Baker, if Dave Baker is allowed to make a decision without government consent, then Dave Baker needs to suffer the consequences or reap the benefit of making um, said decision. But but we gave in to this priestly form of government or authority because we were made to. We weren't given any options. You want to keep your job? You want to maintain your active status in the military? You want to keep your business afloat? You want to get back in the good graces of commerce and, and, and you know, the economy? That Then you must do these things. And th- there's a big debate now um, about whether or not there's going to be, I mean, obviously there are political consequences, but is there going to be some legal consequence? And, and that's why I've always said behind door number one, behind door number two and behind door number three. Well, we, we, we kind of opened the door to door number three, right? With Twitter, the Twitter executives visited the oversight committee and they basically said, we goofed up. I mean, we admit it. We screwed up. We're a private company. They didn't say we conspired with government because they can't say that. I think they did. And I think eventually what we find out of the Hunter Biden laptop story, how complicit Twitter was in conspiring with, with the government to make sure a certain narrative was not ah, in the mainstream to affect potentially the outcome of an election. And that interests me a lot. I mean, it's very, I find it very curious as to how much Twitter and the FBI talked. I find it very curious that Twitter was in on the FBI's plan to make sure the Hunter Biden laptop story was um, was viewed as Russian disinformation. But none of that interests me like COVID. None of that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very interested in that. I know it's part of my job to understand it, to report on it, to, to, to engage our listeners in a conversation about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Twitter employees. But but nothing is like the vaccine. I mean, that, that was a I – but mean, I think when we look back on this, it will be a moment in time that government experimented with how much can we control – every aspect of Americans' lives. And we were, I mean, we gave in. I mean, the, the condition of conformity that has happened over the past, well, a generation and a half, I mean, it worked. We, we marched to the beat of their drum. Very few of us questioned to the point of putting things at risk. I mean, I've got friends of mine who didn't want to get vaccinated, but they chose to be vaccinated because their livelihood was at risk. How many doctors have you and I spoken with, Rev, off the record, who said, and they'll, they'll do the old, it's, it's all about the money. You know, they'll, they'll rub their, their fingers together like, you know what it says, man. You, talk, you say it over and over and over again. It's all, uh, it's all about the money. So I still believe the story to come that could potentially reshape the narrative is who knew what, when about COVID and the vaccine. And I think you got to get to Fauci. I think you got to get to Pfizer executives. I think you've got to get to... Um, to big pharma lobbyists. I mean, I think there are a lot of things in play here that, that we've not even touched. We have a pretty good understanding of Twitter and the FBI. We have a pretty good understanding of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. I mean, Jim Biden now is being accused of getting in on a deal with Saudi Arabia. 
You know, that was always Trump's safe haven. The, the, the never-Trumpers would say, what about Trump in Saudi Arabia? Well, I mean, I wonder if Trump bumped into the Bidens when they were cutting a deal. And wonder if Ivanka, Jared, and uh, Jim Biden rode together on the same train. And, and to declare Kushner and Trump, or Ivanka and Donald, similar to Joe and Jim Biden and Hunter Biden, I mean, those guys have never run a business. I mean, Donald Trump built a fortune, an empire outside of government, and then he involved himself in government. The Bidens did it a little bit like the Clintons. I mean, the Clintons got into politics and then started a foundation and then got rich. And, and the Bidens are, I mean, they, they, I'm not saying they're as sleazy as the Clintons. They're, they're obviously not as bright as the Clintons because the Clintons are a lot savvier and smarter uh, than the Bidens are. Somebody on the phone? Let's go there. Bert in Florence. Hey, Bert. Good morning. You sure do get long-winded sometimes, I tell you. Uh, Four-hour <laughs> radio show, my man. <laughs> That's true. The idea. You know, you know when when the, when the whole thing started, I heard some of the people who were you know involved in making that process say this is going to kill people. This is not ready. You know, this is not a good thing, and that caused me to pause. And then just for asking questions, that's all I was doing is saying, "What about this?" I got banned for thirty days just for asking questions, and that convinced me somebody's hiding something there there's literally and you know i'll jump on a conspiracy theorist so that, that that's the thing i I'm, i'll go down that road and that convinced me there was something wrong now i've had covid twice i have had two heart attacks i have all kinds of of you know other things that should have convinced me to get the shot i am so happy that I didn't allow that shot to come near my kids. I didn't take that shot. I wouldn't wear the mask until the VA forced me to wear the mask by literally withholding my medications to force me to come in with a mask on. Okay, that's how much against it was. I had I had five cops show up at a doctor's office to escort me out because I wouldn't put on a mask. I think every time I hear, oh, so and so, you know, dropped dead of a of a heart attack in the field. Uh, this young guy just fell over dead. I am I'm just ecstatic that I did not go down that road, and I worry about every person who did because it, I've got family who took that shot because they couldn't go on a trip without it. Uh, they couldn't go to work. My wife had been with her job for 17 years, and I was okay with her, you know, telling her job that if they try to force her because they were talking about it that she would quit 17 years, just gone. I was okay with that to protect her from that shot. I, I worry about anybody that took that shot. You know, I, I didn't get to hear you early this morning and uh, I know you got some calls about yesterday. And one thing I did hear yesterday, I want to say, these these listeners of yours that think, you know, they need to say, oh, I'll pray for Bert. I'm not offended by that. I'm not at least bit offended by that. I want them to know I will light a candle for everybody like I do every night. I'm I'm totally okay with your version of that. So y'all have a good day. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Do we have another call? Okay, let's go there and then we'll take a break. Jeff and Florence. Hello, Jeff. Let's do this. Is that Jeff? It is Jeff. I don't want to cut him off. Let's take a break and come back and give Jeff ample oh, yeah, time to express his. Yeah, we're running late in this segment. Back in just a few moments. You know, I spend a lot of our time, or I've spent some time recently criticizing libertarians for their, you know, unwillingness to give in to the Republican creed, the Republican Party. Um, that there are a couple of seats out there in Congress that I believe Republicans would have, if not for libertarians. 
But when you really think about it, and I want to be fair to libertarians because I've got a big libertarian streak about me, um, the, 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 the intellectual framework of libertarianism is to question government. I mean, in, I mean that's not the official definition. I'm not uh, presuming that's the official definition. But if libertarianism as an intellectual framework, I mean, once again, I think it's hard to govern in a libertarian way. But I think a, a libertarian-leaning Republican is, is the kind of Republican we need involved in, in politics because, once again, they don't give into the politics of emergency. They, they, they don't give in to the whims and wants of a bureaucracy or, or, or an administrative state. And, and, once again, that's not an official definition by any stretch. And I do get angry with libertarians when they vote for the libertarian candidate knowing he's only getting 2% of the vote, but the Republican loses by one half of 1%. And every libertarian is not going to vote for the Republican, but but the majority will. I mean, the lion's share will vote for a Republican. But when I look at COVID and I look at some of the after facts, and I'm talking about the studies that have been, I mean, the Department of Health in Florida has have basically made it illegal to give a vaccine to, to a male under 40 because of pericarditis and myocarditis and some of the uncertainty surrounding the vaccine. But once again, both parties gave into the politics of emergency libertarians and their intellectual framework is to be highly suspicious of anything government demands us to do. And so, so I, I don't want to say I'd owe the libertarians an apology because I'm a fellow libertarian in some way, shape, or form. And I do get frustrated when a Democrat wins by one half of one percentage point and the Republican, uh, excuse me, the, the libertarian gets two and a half percent. And he's like, wow, okay, that would be a Republican seat. But, but I still have great admiration for the intellectual framework just doesn't trust government to shoot you straight more times than not. Let's go to the phone. We'll go back to Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Jeff. Morning. Um, so, Ken, you, you know, this, it, it's, it's funny to me, like, when we talk about uh, revisionist history and Monday morning quarterbacking, um, how people are just, now that they know what they know, they're, they're so upset that they got the vaccination. Um, you know, if you, if, if you tell somebody something enough, uh, they're bound to believe it. All right. We know that Fox news and, and the, uh, Republicans on these committees just keep talking about how bad the vaccination is and, and all this supposed data. Um, you wonder why people now question it. I mean, they're being fed. It doesn't work. Information. The main reason people don't trust it, it doesn't work. Uh, can you say it doesn't work? Sure, I can. Okay. I mean, let, I mean let's go back to quote after quote. No, let, let, let me let me finish. let's go back to how many Democrats yeah. and Republicans and Republicans. This was bipartisan. Said that we're having a pandemic, an epidemic of the unvaccinated. If you get the vaccine, you're not going to get COVID. If you get the vaccine, you're not going to give anybody else COVID. Those were just fundamentally dishonest. Nobody knew well, that to be true, but those people said it because somebody. And the politics of emergency industry said, you know, that that's how we convince people to go get vaccinated. But we know now that getting vaccinated doesn't stop you from getting COVID. We know that getting right. vaccinated doesn't stop you from being a carrier of COVID. We were told it would, but we know now that's not true. It 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 it, it increases your chances of not going to the hospital. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I absolutely agree with that. And I think some okay. people need is to be it, vaccinated. Okay. It, is it somewhat effective? I've never said it was a, a totally ineffective. I've always okay. maintained it's somewhat effective. It's somewhat durable. 
Right. And, and so when you just ran through your laundry list of, you know, you should have Fauci up there, you should have the pharmaceutical companies up there under, under you know, testifying under oath. You believe that, right? I absolutely believe that. Okay. Should you have Robert Redfield up there? Right. Yeah. 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 He should be there. Robert Malone should testify. Dr. Dr. Burke. She should be up there. She should testify. Yes. Okay. Mike Pence. Yes. Donald Trump. Yes. Under oath. Absolutely. Okay. Um, you should have um, Jared Kushner because he handled the COVID response. Absolutely. Oath. Okay. A- anybody so- that had a hand in advising people to go get vaccinated uh, under the assumptions of what Pfizer was saying, yeah, we need to get to the bottom of that. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. But but we know we we, we no but honest. we we now know we were misled about the, the the effectiveness and durability of the vaccine. We know we were misled. Were we intentionally misled? I don't know. Let's investigate and find out. Yeah, and 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 as far as like um, the, uh, the the situation with the masks, I, I challenge you that that gentleman said five cops had to come and pull him out of an office. Next time he goes and gets surgery or he sits in a dentist chair, I want to see him throw a fit until his dentist takes his mask off or his doctor takes his mask off. Why do you think we have masks? Why does he think that? Uh, well, but I've think? had doctors tell me the reason they wear a mask in, a, in an operating room is saliva, spit. It's not airborne pathogens. They don't believe the, the, the mask has ever worked with airborne pathogens. <laughs> You're, you're telling me that that's the common belief of doctors. I didn't say that's the common belief. I said I've had doctors okay. tell me that. I'm, I'm sure you have. And you're, and you're basing your assumptions on what, Jeff? I mean, just practice, like just in, in, in the world. Whoa, right just, now, just practice. In, in civilized world, in civilized worlds right now where, where it's available, how many percentage of doctors do you see not wearing masks? They all wear a mask. Well, why? I just told you what they tell me. Okay. They don't need yeah. sweat dripping. They don't need saliva. They don't need any other so, sort of um, excrement from the body, you know, get, getting in the, in, the, in the very sterile place they're trying to do their work. But they don't believe that some of these cloth masks are effective in stopping the transmitting of COVID. Well, no, you just changed it to cloth mask, but an N95 mask. Well, I mean, the majority of masks were cloth masks. The well, overwhelming majority no of masks were cloth masks. There was no masks available. It's it, it's funny to me. Like I, I just, but it's not funny to me at all. We're, we're I mean, it's not. Back, I'll say it, it may be funny. It's not funny at all to me that they shut businesses down. They demanded people become vaccinated. That that they 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 took people out of the kids. That that they forced injecting experimental drugs in ten year old children, or they couldn't go back to school. There ain't a damn thing funny about that. But at that point, that no kid got it until the FDA approved it, and who ran that FDA? So you you you, you sit here and act like if it, and I'm just I'm, I'm it, it, it it it's stunning to me. We forget who was in charge for this, Jeff. Like, but but you always Colbert make this about you, you can't call into this show without making something about Trump. I don't defend Trump on COVID. I've said a hundred times I think Trump made big mistakes. In trusting Burks and trusting Fauci and, and not a- adhering to his common set of values and beliefs, Trump blinked 
in one of the most important moments of his presidency. And I've said that over and over again. Your arguments are, if I can't blame Trump, I don't have an argument. I hope my arguments have more depth than that. Okay, Trump's beliefs were to inject bleach, to get sunshine inside a body. You don't believe that any more than I do. Did he not say it from the podium? Do you, do you, no. I mean, they, they were, you taking him out of context. He said that and a lot of other. You believe Donald Trump thought that if you inject bleach in your body, now you just said he was demanding people become vaccinated. I mean, he should be blamed for these 10-year-old kids who got vaccinated, but he was the guy who said inject bleach in your body. You, I mean, it's either or. It can't be both. It absolutely can. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> but I, I did want to. But if you believe the you, vaccine works, why would you ask people to inject bleach? Vaccine is effective on some level. Does it? Does it? Is it like polio vaccine? It's not. Were some of the alternative it's therapeutics like the effective? Yeah, some of them were. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like nobody, nobody's disputing that some of them weren't. I mean, uh, effective. I mean, you. What was well, anybody made? to take a therapeutic vaccine to maintain their status of employment or their military career or, or staying in school or not. That's my point. You should, you should have every right to choose whether to become vaccinated or not, but you should not be at your, your livelihood should not be at risk because the government and Pfizer decided they think this vaccine is pretty effective and pretty durable. That's my complaint. That's the common denominator of my argument. It's not whether or not you chose to get vaccinated. I mean, if you believe okay. it's in your best interest to get vaccinated, go get vaccinated. But but people's yes. livelihoods should not have been put at risk But because Pfizer and CDC and the World Health Organization basically said we're sure this vaccine is effective and durable when they knew they weren't sure, Jeff. Can, can, I, can I just make a couple points to you? Sure you can. When, when you join the military, is it optional for you to not take to take vaccines? I would imagine there there's some medical requirements of someone joining the military. One hundred percent, everybody has to get vaccinated. Okay. When you work in the nursing facility um, around, you know, uh, in nursing homes, assisted living, are you, are you aware that you have to take a mandatory TBD test and and take take. Yeah, that, that have been thoroughly vetted, that have been thoroughly vetted, and, and oh. they have, have, have received the common approval that, that a new drug would receive. Yeah. About uh, eight I to mean, ten like, years. But you're aware that their job is required, it is a requirement, and they can't go to work if they don't do this. Correct. If they take an FDA-approved okay. vaccine, that works. And, and so there, there are, can you run a business without insurance, Ken? But, but Jeff, are you arguing that the vaccine works? I mean, is that the point no, you're making? I'm arguing that we always do things that we that are mandatory. When have we ever done this before? When have we ever approved a vaccine from start to finish in less than a year and commanded or demanded people take this vaccine or lose their job? When have we ever that demanded modern- a for-profit businesses to shut down or else? I mean, I don't know of an example of that. I mean, I've been around 60 years. that there 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 is not a single example in the history of my life that I can remember government demanding of the private sector and people who live and operate in the private sector what they did during COVID. There is no precedent to that. There isn't a precedent for that, but I'll say this. You know, you can't uh, discount the miracle that was the uh, Operation Warp Speed and getting this drug to market. And so, you know, 
Fair enough. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. I got a couple of comments. First of all, the vaccine, of course, was announced after the election. Uh, It was released in the meantime between the election and the inauguration, right? Um, Trump said on every occasion, this is a a good vaccine. Uh, It's there. It's not mandated. We're not going to mandate. All right. That was Trump's Trump position. never mandated the vaccine. He right. encouraged people and he was proud of the work Operation Warp Speed did in less than a year. Remember, he talked about, you know, cutting the red tape, streamlining government, um, government provisions. I mean, Trump was very, very supportive of, of streamlining the process to get the vaccine to market. But he didn't. He never, um, never made it mandatory. And on the mask conversation, I just got a text from a doctor who wanted to inject this into the conversation. Masks help against bacteria because bacteria are so big, but not protective against viruses because they are so much smaller than bacteria. I've not had a single doctor in a private conversation tell me that they thought the, uh, the mask made any sense. There's a very complicated debate about the vaccine. I'll give you that. And, and you know, I, I'm a libertarian-leaning Republican. I'm going to be skeptical of government. That's going to be my natural um, kind of, kind of uh, position of default or default position. But I've not seen a single, I've not spoken to a single doctor who believes the mask served any purpose. There's not a single peer-reviewed research that shows the mask served any purpose. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I want to say this. There's a natural yin and yang with Jeff and I. Jeff is sympathetic toward government. Jeff, if if government tells you to do X, Y, or Z, and, and, you know, we do kind of a post-mortem, Jeff hopes they're right. I mean, I take a little joy in realizing how wrong they were. And and I'll say this for the record. I don't know how effective the vaccine is. I don't know how durable it is. But I'm sure it's not as effective or or durable as they told us it was. Now, you've got a lot of varying reports. Um, I'll say this, Rev. There's not a single report in in the postmortem that suggests the vaccine is more effective and more durable than the original diagnosis, the original prognosis. What would be a better way to say it? You go to Johns Hopkins University. You can go to, to, to a Brazilian study that there's a there's a, a French study. Every one of those studies that have done that have been done with, with 88,012 Brazilians, 65,000 French. Um, you're talking about ivermectin and hydro, hydroxychloroquine. We're talking about some of the therapeutics, some of the um, preventive measures. Every every single peer reviewed research done has suggested very strongly and emphatically that the vaccine was not as effective as we were told it was. It was not as durable as we told it was going to be. So, so here's my question. Was that intentional or was that just, just, I mean, made a mistake because it's hard to believe you made a mistake and every mistake you made was overstating the effectiveness of the vaccine overstating the durability of the vaccine they lied to us guys and if it was overstated and the government lied to you and i and what was the motive bought it and believed it and some didn't and once again if you're a libertarian if your intellectual framework of governance is to be skeptical you can stand loudly and proudly says hey on this one i was right If, if you're on the liberal side more trusting more sympathetic toward government you were just wrong and i understand it's easier to convince you you were wrong than to it's easier to convince you you were misled than to mislead you. Let's go to the phone. Jeremy and Florence. Good morning. Hey y'all. So um, I've called before and talked about intellectual honesty, and these two issues we've heard this morning about unemployment rate and COVID are great examples of a lack of intellectual honesty and lack of true brain power being used. Turn off the news and not pay attention to it for just a minute, and just look around. 
see what's happening. Let's go with the unemployment rate first. Supposedly, unemployment is the greatest in the history of the world since 1969. I heard I wasn't alive then. I have no idea. I can take their word for it. But what I do know is this. Wherever I go, everybody's looking for employees, right? Wages are up, but nobody can find someone to work. I'm in the construction business. I pay 20 plus bucks an hour for someone else to do the job. And uh, what LPNs make who go to school for a couple of years to get a degree. You don't have to have a degree. I can't find employees. Why is it no one can find them? Why do the restaurants have to close on Monday? If employment's so wonderful, everybody's got a job. Well, it's, it's, it's not true. You look around and notice it's not true. But if, if we don't start, start with the conclusion and actually try to find the answer, we might really come to some truth. Now, COVID's another great example. Now, everyone in the military is vaccinated, right? Correct. Okay, then nobody in the military gets COVID, do they? <laughs> there are thousands today with COVID in the military. And everyone in New York is vaccinated, right? Everyone is. They talk about it like triple, quadruple vaxxed, right? Whatever the latest version of fully vaccinated is. In New York City, everybody's got it, right? Is there any COVID in New York? Everybody's, no one's sick, are they? But they, they are. So it doesn't work, does it? I don't need a scientist to tell me. Look, there used to be a day when people looked at science that way. A dude was sitting under a tree and an apple fell and he, he, he got gravity now. Wasn't, was a thing, right? We, we finally figured that out. What about electricity? All these ways that we discovered these, the most magnificent things that now we take for granted, when we didn't start with the conclusion, we just looked around and used our brain and said, you know what? This is something not right about that. Let me figure it out. Stimulus response. Look, it, 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 we're living through it right now. Just look around. It doesn't work. Thank you, Jeremy. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. There's an article I'm going to try to find during the break uh, about, and it's got some Hobbs and Locke in it. Um, but, but once again, guys, that there's something in all of our DNAs that we either trust what government says or we don't. I'm not saying I think government lies at every turn. I think government misleads. I think government intentionally misleads. Those with a liberal mindset, something in their DNA, they find government more trusting, um, more trustworthy. That's in your bones. I mean, that's who you are. But, but as Jeremy said, look around and tell me things are good. Back in a minute. Did you ask Roger if it was okay we played that song? <laughs> I, I did not. Okay. You should. I just want to make sure. <laughs> He's got a short list of music he approves of, Rev. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of it is garbage. Just <laughs> absolute garbage. That might be in the right time frame of Rogers. Well, but I think he said the music. last the last song worthy of listening to was written in 1973. It was probably a Johnny Cash or Merle Haggard song. I'm just making a wild guess. <laughs> Let's go to the phone. Here's Jammy. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. Golly, man, uh, I love you to death. But when Jeff calls in, he and um, he's the only other person besides Hannity that makes me yell at the radio. <laughs> That guy, if I, you know, I want to hear his argument, but he doesn't have an argument. He always calls in and and throws, you know, starts throwing these arrows out there, waiting for something to stick. But he never has follow up to what he wants to argue about. He cannot follow his argument through, and uh, I, it just drives me nuts. Now you told me one time if you don't like to listen to him, turn him off. Nah, I like yelling at my radio. So keep having them come on. But at least, Jeff, have an argument that you can finish. 
Thank you, JM. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. I want to get into the weeds for a second because I think this is a good opportunity to go down this road. Um, I'm always waiting on these chances to play smart boy on the radio uh, every now and then. There's a guy named Edward Bernays, B-E-R-N-A-Y-S. He wrote a book back uh, probably 100 years ago, back in the 20s, called um, Propaganda. He's known as the father of modern propaganda. He was a social scientist. He studied a lot in um, psychological manipulation. Um, and he basically says, and, and I'll quote from the, um, from the book here, Reb, because Jam's right. I mean, when, you, when, you, when, you, when we were told a narrative, and the narrative was the vaccine is effective and durable. Oh, but they didn't say it was perfect, but they said it was effective and durable. Highly effective, highly durable. I mean, they're recommending to the point of demanding, to the point of mandating that you get this vaccine. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what the facts said. It didn't matter that we didn't know a lot of things. Once again, and this goes back to the the book Propaganda, because Bernays says, um, I want to get this quoted exactly right. You ready, Rev? Mm -hmm. He says that the conscious and intelligent manipulation or of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic societies. In other words, it doesn't matter what the truth is. I mean, if we've got this preconceived notion, there's a way to convince the masses that it's true. There's a way to convince the masses that it's accurate. Now, we know, Rev, and I think this is what Jam's talking about. I can quote Johns Hopkins. I can quote a Brazilian study. I can quote a, a French study. I can quote a Iranian study. I can quote a, a Japanese study. I mean, there's study after study after study, whether it's COVID and the vaccine, whether it's ivermectin, whether it's hydro, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, there, there's a lot of studies that clearly show that you and I were fundamentally misled about some of the uh, realities of the vaccine and some of the therapeutic agents, some of the preventive measures against COVID-19. Once again, French, uh, the French study is about 90,000. The Brazilian study is about 88,000. Um, the, 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 the Florida Department of Health has, has basically stopped the state from vaccinating men under 40 years of age because the COVID-19 vaccine, they believe, is the cause of an increase in myocarditis. I mean, there's a, a fairly recent study published in the, in the American Medical Journal that shows if you're under the age of 40 and you've been vaccinated, you have a better chance of getting pericarditis or myocarditis. I mean, that's a study. So, so when, when Edward Bernays says that the best way to propagandize is to once again um, impose your will on the conscious intelligent manipulation, uh, in other words, it doesn't matter what Ken's opinion is. If Ken doesn't have this libertarian framework, this intellectual framework that is libertarian, I'm naturally skeptical of government. So there's not a lot Fauci could do to convince me, Rev, that he was shooting me straight. Why? Because I have a natural predisposition about Fauci to begin with. What is my natural? It's not that he didn't. I mean, Fauci went to Johns Hopkins. I'm quoting a Johns Hopkins study. My, my concern with Fauci was never where he was educated. It was he'd been in government a long time. And he kind of sort of, you know, he survived in government a long time. Somebody said he's virtuous, that he's righteous, that he's uh, the only honest man in Washington. You don't last that long in Washington and rise to the heights that he has by being virtuous and being honorable. He's a survivor. He did what he had to do to maintain control of the CDC. 
So my natural inclination is to see Fauci standing beside Trump and say, I like Trump, but I don't know about that other guy. Why don't you know about the other guy? He went to Johns Hopkins. He did back in the 60s. And then he got a job in government. And he's been there ever since. Ever since then, he's been there. So, so you've got Bernay talking about, and once again, now this gets in the weeds. And this is when I like to play smart boy for a second or two. But he's talking about social sciences. He's talking about psychological manipulation. I mean, it, it, it's really a public relations course on how to intentionally mislead um, and, and basically manipulate masses of people um, to influence politics, to affect social change, um, whether you're lobbying for climate change or gender equality, um, racial equality, doesn't matter what the truth is. If you propagandize effectively, so th- there's a social scientist, a political scientist, um, last name's Crawford, and I read an article, found it during the last break, and, and I want to read it verbatim. I-, I don't want to take credit for this because he deserves all the credit, but it plays into this, this, this father of modern propaganda's argument that the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. What, what he's saying is, you got to be careful letting people think for themselves. If you let 330 million people think for themselves, some of them may not think this vaccine works. Some of them may have concerns about Pfizer and the arrangement they have with government. Some of these crazy libertarians might not even do what we tell them to do. Some of these crazy libertarians may, may, may go to church and talk to other conservative-minded people and, and talk about Big Pharma, the contributions they make to the federal government in the name of what? Making the world a better place or, or making a profit? I'll let you decide. What do you think the CEO of Pfizer wakes up every day thinking about? Making the world a better place or making Pfizer more profitable? You can bet your bottom dollar it is their bottom dollar. But, but, but I want to read what Crawford said because I've had this article for a good while. Western populations are thus witnessing the slow motion um, desertion of liberal principles of government. Now, now he's talking about liberal in the classical way, the John Locke neoclassical liberal. These principles are being replaced by a Hobbesian security ideology. And here I go with it with their words. I knew I'd heard this priestly form of authority. L- listen to what he just said, guys. Security ideology. Isn't that kind of a fancy schmancy way of saying condition to conform? The security ideology using a priestly form of authority. The government's not going to tell you something that's not true. I mean, the government's going to do what your priest would do. They're going to take care of you. They're going to always give you good advice. He continues, this authority, this authority requires a credulous, fearful person who, when they believe in science, are then considered by the authorities to have a good perception of the risk of COVID. So, so what they did, Rev, is they... They manipulated their opinion. They can't manipulate the science. But, but how do you manipulate opinion? You know how you do it, Rev? You don't let contrary ones on board. Twitter censors Dr. Robert Malone. Any, any, the, the doctor from Stanford that had a condom, um, Scott Gottlieb, left the, um, left the CDC and went to, to the Pfizer board. Who's on CNBC saying whether the vaccine works or not? Oh, the guy that ran CDC. So he's got some credibility, but he's also on the Pfizer board. So why do we allow a guy? I mean, think of this, guys. you got a Stanford-educated virologist who's not allowed to participate in the debate. 
because his opinions are questionable. This this in his field of expertise. Yeah, he's a virologist, but he's not an mRNA expert. So he's excluded from the public debate. But Scott Gottlieb's not. Scott Gottlieb is a former CDC director under Trump. See, there you go, under Trump. He worked for President Trump. So how dare you, America Firsters, doubt anything the president says. Guys, I don't take any government official at their word. I'm sorry, I just don't. But because, once again, I have a genetic makeup. I have a kind of an intellectual framework that I'm highly suspicious of anything government says. I still question. Th- three of the best friends I've got in politics are, are, are Lowe, Jordan, and Rickenbaugh. I- I've, co- I've conversed with them about this $3.5 billion. They've led me to believe it's all about assets. It has nothing to do with revenue. My, my, my last question to one of those three was, well, who audits the state's books? I mean, I don't question their motives. I don't question their sincerity. But somebody in government may not be telling them the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And I want to know, the $3.5 billion in question with the state government, how did we get a clean bill of health? How did somebody somewhere audit the books of South Carolina and didn't find an overstating of $3.5 billion in assets? Not revenue, but assets. I am naturally skeptical of what government tells me. Therefore, when Fauci says, take the vaccine, nothing to see here, nothing to worry about, my natural inclination is going to say, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. We didn't have a vaccine a year ago, and I've read that it takes about 8 to 10 years to do this. I mean, did we get lucky? Did we draw the, the right lottery ticket? Or, or we did cut some corners? And if we're cutting corners, let's tell the American people we're cutting corners. If we're doing this in the name of expediting a vaccine so more people don't die, then, then let's, let's level with the American people. But we were told it was safe. We were told it was effective. We have found out, Rev, it's, it's mostly safe and it's somewhat effective. That there, there, there are some risk categories that I think go along with myocarditis and pericarditis. But, but the, the, the debate I'm having is not medical. It's not about vaccine. It's about the consciousness of the country. And once again, are, are we a nation now so conditioned to conform that we're easily propagandized? I want to continue. Um, in some, S-U-M, Western societies are undergoing an ever-deeper penetration of society by bureaucratic authority in both the public and private sectors. The self-image of the liberal West, talking about the lock, the, the neoclassical liberal, uh, is based on the rule of law and representative government is need of revision. He's exactly right. We need a revision. We need disruption. We need um, I don't want to say chaos. That's unfair to government. That's unfair to the country. We don't need chaos, but we need a lot of people questioning whether the authoritative entities in our country are trustworthy or not. And and I, I'm quoting Johns Hopkins in a Brazilian study, and, 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 and there are certain people out there listening to my voice who still trust what government said about the vaccine. You've got to be a moron now to believe that you weren't misled. Now, were you intentionally misled? I don't know. I don't have any idea. That's why I think we need investigations. Did, did, the, did, the, did, did the, the virus originate in a Wuhan laboratory or at a wet market? Don't know. Don't have any idea. I mean, if I were a betting man, I would bet it was at a virology lab that bears the name of the virus. 
I mean, there, there's a there, there's a place called the Wuhan Virology Lab that I think is the origin or the place of origin to to um to this this virus. But but th- there are certain people, Reb, that have been so propagandized that they believe what government tells them w- without without regret. The government says stand here. They stand there. The government says do this. They do they do that. And when you look at what what Edward Bernays said in the book Propaganda, um, they have exploited the psychology of the average American. And I know I'm getting into a field of expertise I don't know much about. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know how. Well, maybe I do. I was going to say I don't know how to manipulate masses, but I got a bunch of people to vote for me. So in a weird way, maybe I do know how to <laughs> manipulate masses uh, to some degree. But 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 they're, they're using this propaganda to influence politics, to affect social change, to um, to lobby for climate change and and gender equality and racial equality, all of these cultural wars that we find ourselves embroiled in, we're not getting a factual representation of this. I mean, think about what happens if Elon Musk does not buy Twitter. We never know the FBI conspired with Twitter. We never know what Dr. Robert Malone thinks today. We never see the Johns Hopkins um, research that clearly shows that um that the lockdowns and shutdowns and masks have had their their words, not mine. You ready? The Johns Hopkins Institute within the Johns Hopkins University complex says um, that the policies have had little or no effect on mortality from COVID nineteen. They am, they have imposed enormous economic and social costs where they were adopted. Um, I mean, if, if, if Musk doesn't know, how many times has CBS News reported that? I bet they I mean, haven't. W- when they introduce Dr. Um, Fauci, you know what they say? He's Johns Hopkins educated. So if it's good enough for Fauci, why is it not good enough for the mainstream media? Why is the mainstream media not reported from the Johns Hopkins Institute that all these shutdowns, lockdowns, all these um, emergency declarations had little or no impact or effect on mortality from COVID-19, but they have imposed enormous economic and social cost where they were adopted. Um, the Florida Health Department says we're not vaccinating men under the age of 40 anymore because we have data now that shows they are at a higher than we're comfortable uh, with risk on myocarditis and, and pericarditis. It, it's, the, the country's become propagandized, and we've been willing participants. Um the, the, the sensationalism of politics, um, the politics of emergency in this case, have, have carried the day. And it frustrates me. I mean, it really, it does not surprise me, guys, that the government said go get vaccinated or else. I mean, once again, that's that totalitarian mindset. That's what Locke is talking about. That's what Crawford is talking about. That's what um, Edward Benet wrote about. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, they're in the business of getting their way, period. Whatever it takes, they're in the business of getting their way. What what surprises me is how few of us have the libertarian intellectual framework to say no, to put anything at risk. Um, Bert said earlier, we had somebody in the office say, I get it. I mean, my livelihood's at risk. You know, I'm told by some government agency that I can't work here if I don't do this. I can't stay a member of the military if I don't do, don't do that. But what do we do with the people who intentionally misled? Let's say we have an investigation into COVID and the government's response to COVID. 
and we find through investigation and sworn testimony that we were misled, not accidentally, but intentionally, that there's intent involved in it. What happens to those people who intentionally created one of the most radical episodes of American government intervening in, in, the, in the affairs of the private sector that we've ever seen? 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a minute. Okay, I get a text. Here's a physician friend of mine. You ready? This isn't yours truly. This is somebody who's trained, who's a medical expert. They don't want their name on the record. Have a livelihood at risk, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, big, bad government. Who wants to cross? What did John Mellencamp say? I find authority, and authority, authority always, always wins. wins. I mean, I'm stupid enough to, to not listen to that, not believe that, not buy into that. I mean, I'm no hero. I'm just stupid. I'm convinced of that. I mean, there's nothing heroic about my efforts. I'm just too dumb to go along and get along. Got buddies <laughs> of mine say, man, why do you keep doing that? Because I'm stupid. I'm just I'm not gonna very write, bright. I'm going to write that down. I'm no hero. I'm just stupid. No, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. I mean, so somebody said, man, you'll stand against establishment. No, I'm just too stupid <laughs> to stand where they tell me to stand and do it. It's it's far more lucrative to do what government says do. I mean, they, they, they basically kind of, um they've rigged the game. So if you do what they say do, the benefit outweighs um, the negative. But I get a text, um, the equivalent of the American Heart Institute or the American Heart Foundation would be the... Um, the British Heart Foundation. Oh, that would be the American. Oh, what am I trying? The American, American Heart Association. American Heart Association would be the British Heart Foundation. Um, recently concluded test shows an excess mortality rate, fifteen percent more of fifty-year-olds under the age. Excuse me, fifty-year-olds under the age of fifty having been vaccinated. I mean, think of that. If you're under the age of fifty and haven't. The, the mortality rate is about what it's always been per the, the British Heart Foundation. And this goes back to myocarditis and, and pericarditis. If, if you are vaccinated or have been vaccinated under the age of 50, there's a 15% chance or, or better chance of you dying before you turn 50 than if somebody had not been vaccinated. I mean, why is that not in the mainstream media? Because they're not in the business of delivering news. They are intentionally propagandizing a very uh, gullible public. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Good morning. Yeah. Hey, man. Good morning. Safety dance. Simply the best, Dave Baker. Uh, Ken, when I was watching that Super Bowl, I, I actually, I'm such a nerd. I listen to the background music in the commercials. And you were talking about going back to days when things were uh, less stressful or whatever. I mean, I heard electric slide. Uh, Simply the best is one, Safety Dance. That's Dave's favorite song, uh, Money for Nothing. So I, I, I get into that. Um, it's, it's just sad that I'm thinking about today's world. When you have this political warp speed hot potato vaccine, and then you got my man Trump, um, Harris and Biden, they wouldn't have taken that vaccine for love or money before Election Day. My question would be, did Barron take the vaccine? Did Hunter take the vaccine? But I was thinking about Jeff. I don't know if Chuck Schumer might. He might be one of Jeff's heroes. Uh, have you been watching Chuck Schumer the last few days? I have. Yes, sir. And I, I watched him on this thing on Stephanopoulos. I mean, you talk about Robin interviewing Batman. Uh, here you got a guy, Schumer, he got into the, the Congress, House of Representatives in 1992, same year Clinton uh, got elected president. And then who was George Stephanopoulos? 
he was Bill Clinton's what I call attack dog. But I won't give him that much um, dignity. He's more like the attack cocker spaniel. So when I watch this interview, you're talking about classic media misinformation. So when it comes to the balloon, first thing Schumer says, Trump had three balloons. Stephanopoulos goes, it's wild we didn't know. And then I'm thinking to myself, China's embarrassed. That's something that Schumer said. And then George, just like a cocker spaniel, he just shook his head, yes, yes. And then Biden is in great shape. That's a quote that uh, Schumer had. And he went and quoted that in 1983, Reagan had like 36% approval rating with Republicans. Let's, let's back that up. But the worst one about all this is he said, Democrats never play brinkmanship. That's their whole deal, man. If you go back to the 90s, uh, whenever we had these government shutdown situations, they learn from history that that always benefits them. So I'm just letting you know, man, if you want to watch what uh, is going on now, check what – and he, he was on The View the other day as well. But anyway, check out what Chuck Schumer is doing. You'll have a good day. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. I will not watch The View. Well, I mean, the, the interesting part of Schumer to me on Stephanopoulos' show is how much he had to read his notes. I mean, if you're majority leader, I'm sorry, guys, trust me on this. If you're majority leader and you're doing your job and you're being briefed and you're, and you're consuming the briefings and you're understanding the briefings, you don't have to refer to notes much. I mean, there may be a, an example of two that you see someone with a note on their, on their, in case your brain farts on you, you know what I mean? And you don't remember things. I mean, but, but by, I mean, it was like a moment of talking and two moments of looking at notes. And I'm talking about moments in seconds. I mean, he would speak to Stephanopoulos. He would look at the camera for five seconds. He would read, you know, five seconds worth of notes, and then it was back. And 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 that that's okay if you're a rookie member. I mean, if Russell Fry appeared on George Stephanopoulos' show, I would expect Russell to have some notes to review, to to refer to in case he gets asked kind of a slippery question because he's a rookie member of Congress. Schumer's been there forever. I mean, he's a Senate Majority Leader. And every time he looked at his notes, I was like, look, this guy really doesn't. I mean, it's almost like he's there as a placeholder. You know, he's there because he likes the the entourage, the prestige, the notoriety. Um, I mean, obviously, he likes adopting liberal policies and like, you know, for Democrats to win. But, but if you're a majority leader and you're doing your job as aggressively as you should be doing your job, the last thing you need is notes. I mean, you are so aware and in tune with where the, the party is, where the caucus is in relation to the president, what the issues before the American people are. I mean, that's your job. And if you're good at it, you hardly ever have to refer to notes. <laughs> and what about the president? You sit here. You stand here. Well, I mean, you, he's a, you answer a senile old man. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you've ever accused Schumer of being a senile old man. <laughs> No. I mean, you know, Biden is, I mean, let's level like guys. I mean, Joe, Joe Biden has serious cognitive issues. And if he can't read, I mean, he can't give an answer. He just simply cannot. And if he can't call on a reporter to ask the question he's already been rehearsed on, I mean, it, it would be, I mean, it would be devastating probably to our national, to our national standing. And I want to say this, and I'm talking about in general, you're talking about the Chinese and balloons and, you know, invasions 
Do you not think the Chinese know how much America's in decline? I mean, you got a lady who's a ranking member of a committee who the reporter said yesterday, so you're resigning, so you're retiring, are you? And she said, I hadn't made a release yet. I hadn't made a press release. And her aide says, yes, you have. We did it this morning. And she says, well, I, I mean, so, so you, I mean, if you're Russia or China or any geopolitical adversary, I mean, if you're a Middle Eastern country and you see that day after day after day, you see Joe Biden avoid the media. You see Joe Biden in such a, a delicate and rehearsed position to answering questions from the media. I mean, it emboldens you. I mean, what is there to be afraid of? The only fear that we have at our avail is our, our economy. I mean, that's it. I mean, the economy generates tax proceeds. Tax proceeds fund this government. The Chinese know that we spend $900 billion a year on our defense. The Russians know that we spend $900 billion on defense. Now, I don't think the Chinese or Russians believe that we get $900 billion worth of bang for our buck. I mean, I think they look at our leadership. They look at our country in general. They look at the halftime show of the Super Bowl, and they say, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure we could take them because they spend, you know, so much money on their on their defense. So our national security is not in the hands of our elected officials, but rather our economy, our ability to generate tax receipts, and, you know, a certain percentage of that goes to fund the largest military the planet has ever known. Let's go to the phone. Sam in Cross Hill. Good morning, Sam. Hey, good morning, everybody. I got a uh, great show this morning. Uh, I'll tell you, I spent a lot of my time through the day uh, watching Fox because I have followed the careers of Sandra Smith and Martha McCallum and uh, Dana Perino also. So not only we're getting some, I think, some good information from them, uh, but they're easy on the eyes. The vaccine, I didn't really call to talk about the vaccine, but I will mention this to you. Uh, my wife and I are 70 years old. And uh, I got the first vaccine and two boosters and stopped. My wife is an anti-vaxxer, which is fine. But COVID finally caught us about three weeks ago. And I would say that my experience with it was a little bit easier than her experience. She's still dealing with a nagging cough that's, that's pretty bad. So um, I just want to tell you that. What I wanted to, what I initially called to talk about was the um, issue with the state of South Carolina. Ken, you're a businessman, and you understand a balance sheet. And you keep saying that uh, we overstated assets, but there was no revenue effect. Well, you know that for a balance sheet to balance, the assets of the state would have to equal to the liabilities and the fund balance. And so if one thing is overstated, something else is understated. That means you've either got assets understated, or perhaps you've got um, liabilities overstated, or a fund balance overstated. And the way you'll get a fund balance overstated is you overstate revenues or you understate expenses. So I look forward to hearing, you know, whatever comes out of this because, you know, uh, a balance sheet has to balance. So if something's wrong in one place, there's an effect in some other place. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate the call. And I'm doing everything I know to get to the bottom of it. I just don't have a lot of people willing to explain it to me in, in, in that fashion. And I said yesterday, and I'll say it again, I've never been a part of balancing a budget except at the county level. I mean, as a member of county council, we had money coming in and money going out. And we had an auditing firm that would audit our books every year, and we'd get a clean bill of health. Now, very often, Rev, that clean bill of health came with some notes. You need to work on this a little bit better. 
there was something that happened at the sheriff's department that you need to explain, and we would have to explain it. But but I never served on county council that it, we didn't get a passing grade on our audit. Now, now once again, I never got an audit, or I say I, the council never got an audit review that was absolutely perfect. The numbers worked, but there there may have been. I'll give an example. There may be a department in county government that you got to get two signatures on a check, and one check went through with only one signature. But I mean, that's not meeting. I mean that that's that's a, a misgiving in your audit. Um, somebody wants to know, hey, what happened here? There's only one person. I mean the the um the, the council has agreed that two people in this department have to sign a check. There's one check that went through with only one signing it. Well, it's a valid check. It's a valid expenditure. It's not somebody trying to embezzle money or steal money. But you got a check behind that. So so when you get the audit and you get the the um the vetting of expenditures and liabilities, you get a clean bill of health or not. So we always got a clean bill of health, but it always denoted some of the um so, some of the issues they found when auditing our books, and and they they would get the right answer. You know, they'd go to this person and say, hey. This check was not signed by two people. It was for, you know, $1,500 in the recreation department. And they would, they would chase it down. You know, that they, would, they would run the, the actual expenditure down to make sure it was on what they said it was. And, and if it wasn't, you had a problem. I mean, you had somebody embezzling money. You had some impropriety happening within, within county government. When I was in Columbia, guys, all I did was, was ba- I mean, I had a ceremonial symbolic job. I mean, I presided over the state senate, but I didn't, I, I didn't account for any of the money. I mean, I, I signed bills in the committee. And I appointed members to conference committees and things like that. But the majority of what I did was was, was in a in a in a in, in the role as president of the Senate. So so I can't speak to how I gotta believe. I'll make a prediction. You ready? There's a House Oversight Committee that I predict will demand whomever is responsible for auditing the state's budget. To answer the question, how do we end up three and a half million three and a half billion dollars out of sorts? Is it is it is it internal? Is it external? I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it was external at the county. I mean, we kept our own books, but an external auditing company or accounting firm came in and made sure we did what we said we did with taxpayer dollars. And once again, we never failed an audit, but but we never had an audit an audit that was completely and totally removed of any any problem or potential discrepancy that's why you audit the books to make sure when in the event of something not being uh done just right there's still an accounting a proper accounting of the money so so when i'm telling you that there's a three and a half overstate three and a half billion dollar overstating of assets i'm telling you what i've been told but if i'm in the house or the senate i want to know who audits the books who who let this slide for a decade how did we not pick up or what eventually became a $3.5 billion accounting mistake, if that's indeed what it is. Now, I've been told from trustworthy sources that it is indeed a $3.5 billion accounting error. But how did the auditing, the auditing firm, whether internal or external, not pick up on a $3.5 billion mistake that didn't happen in one year? But it happened, it went all the way back to 2012, and, and I'm told, once again, that it's overcounting university and college dollars in some weird way, shape, or form. But, but I want to reiterate, I could probably give you a pretty good answer. If it was how they did it at the county level, I just never have been a part of um, 
of balancing the books at the state level. Just because I'm curious, at the county level, uh, the outside audit, is that something that is required by statute or is that something council did? R- required by statute. It is, okay. Required by statute. And it's a public, I mean, they, they actually come to a council meeting and they explain to the public how much money we took in, how much money we took out, and, and what sort of problems we have. And, and once again, th- there may have been a check written in the recreation department that didn't have two signatures. They would identify that. And once again, Rev, they would bird dog that expenditure to make sure it was on what it said. I have no idea how they do it at the state. Is the auditing done internally or externally? If it's done internally, uh, if it's done externally, uh, let's find another auditing firm. You don't need to be $3.5 billion out of sorts. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Joe in Hartsville. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. I, I think the first two shots weren't too bad. Uh, I took both of them because being retired military, uh, they called me and said, you need to come over to the base. But once I took the booster, which was way after the first two, my heart enlarged. And I ended up in the hospital for about a week. And they couldn't tell me why it did it, but it stopped pumping fluid, you know, I started getting fluid on my lungs and everything else. And then they said, well, well, you've got double pneumonia, which I've never had in my life. And they took like three liters of fluid off my lungs. So the first two might've been okay. They didn't do very much, but yeah, the military makes us take, but that that's called raw volunteers. And, and, you know, that's another conversation. That's why I like to listen to you and Jeff. Every day I find out how much of my life is totally meaningless and I've accomplished nothing. So I remember a while back there was a $25 million fund missing from some construction at South Carolina State University and Maybe all of that's part of it. I know the high schools added a lot of value to their real estate by upgrading their football stadiums and weight rooms off the COVID money. So maybe we can add assets to make up for that three and a half billion dollars. But yeah, I I enjoy the show. I, I listen, like I say, all four hours every day. I, I find out every day how useless my life is. So. <laughs> He'll say that. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. We appreciate that a lot. I think they owe the public a better explanation than we made a $3.5 billion accounting error. Go into detail. I mean, a lot of people don't care. They're watching Seinfeld. They're worried about who's going to be at halftime of the Super Bowl next year. But some of us do. And I think you've got to do better than – I mean, i got, I got to believe that the House Oversight Committee – will have not just the comptroller in, but rather who's responsible for auditing auditing the books. The first question I have, is it an internal audit or an external audit? And um, I mean, will, will Richard run, well, will, will Richard Ekstrom run again for re-election with this part of his, um? it's kind of a, um, it's not a sexy job, but it's a very, very important job accounting for the state's money. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.